0: Welcome to or welcome back to the Fun Filtered Podcast. I am Sam, and I am joined as unconscionably ever by Jordan. Hello! Hello? Hello? Get on with it! Oh, right, sorry. (laughs) Uh,
1: Coming up. We speed through the flash. We narrativize the experience of the narrative of Asteroid City. We accept the mission of
0: reviewing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1.
1: And now we am become reviewers of
0: Oppenheimer. And we, um... Barbie. Right, we've got a lot to cover. Not, not many items, but a lot to cover. <laughs> right. Uh, let's just jump straight into it with The Flash. We're catching up, as yeah, usual. We certainly okay? catching up um start, i think
1: they're starting with the flash to to, to to get us get us going yeah to fast to
0: fast us <laughs> it's fast um, us into,
1: is this the uh because we've done the coming up so they already
0: know what films we'll yeah, be yeah. Reviewing. i think we've discounted just by the way about 10 or 15 things oh like yeah. In the last, yeah 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 yeah. We'll what's things no no but you know, we'll at the end of year we'll um yeah catch you up on everything that you miss
1: oh yeah no i think that like barbie and oppenheimer was supposed to be like four episodes after uh rise of the beasts or whatever yes it was. but
0: they were very much stalwarts like whatever happens yeah barbie and oppenheimer are getting reviewed not so much indiana jones and the dial of destiny
1: no no uh which was one of them actually
0: uh, yeah that was a possibility but yeah. it, it was never like oh whatever happens we all review indiana jones <laughs> no. we watched it and decided that we weren't going to review indiana yeah. jones so The Flash, you were going to say?
1: Well, I was going to ask, is this the, the, the um, this collection of movies that we're reviewing, is mm. this like the longest collective running time of, of all the... Because there's some long films yeah, in here. Yeah,
0: maybe. That's happening a lot more, I'm noticing. They're getting a lot longer. They're getting longer, yeah. I th- Is it maybe because to justify going to the cinema now, it has to be an event? And so we make like an epic film? Is that part of it? I or is don't he just going
1: to like inconvenience me further, take Plus more the, of my time off It's often.
0: completely alienating because it doesn't make me want to go to the cinema sit yeah. down for three hours.
1: For a film that's not going to finish as well in some cases. In some cases, yeah. Anyway, let's jump into The Flash. Yeah. Right. Do you remember The Flash?
0: Not really. Okay. Uh, it's a few months ago now that we watched these films. Yeah,
1: not yeah. Not only did we watch it a while ago, it's also It's The Flash. Like Yeah.
0: Who <laughs> like, Exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you recall the plot at all?
1: Okay. Oh, do I... Um, Barry Allen The Flash mm. superhero mm-hmm. Justice League mm. father's in prison yeah killing the mother yes which he didn't do no but the world says he did yes The Flash is is he like a criminal student or something where he's like trying to like uh like get degree that will like help improve his father's innocence or something uh, like that yeah
0: like a law degree or something I don't know
1: or he's like interning at like a like a forensics lab yeah or that
0: sounds right yeah yeah that's what yeah he's,
1: he's like reconstructing the evidence from the crimes or like from the shop right okay to prove that his father wasn't there when the murder happened or something like that
0: is he is he doing that you know off work is he doing is he moonlighting doing that because... yeah I think so yeah. okay fine because that's a conflict of interest. They wouldn't let me. Oh do yeah. That. yeah, yeah. When <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> for your first case, yeah, prove your father's innocence. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that. That's like the the traditional like you know human mm. setup to make us care about him. Apparently, mm. um, and then Batman is like, oh, a hospitals exploding. Yes. So he runs the Gotham. Yeah. Hangs out with Bat. Well, saves people with Batman and Wonder Woman. Mm. Then he like he gets sad. Mm. So he runs.
0: Into an alternate past? I can't remember. He goes back to try and stop his mum dying, right? Yeah. Isn't that the idea? He
1: just decides to do that one day. Yeah. He He's go- goes from back. back and dying. Doesn't he realise, like, oh,
0: if she doesn't die, obviously he doesn't go to jail. I don't know, some shit like that. Yeah. Um, Somehow,
1: him saving his mother stops all superheroes ever from existing. I don't remember that bit. But okay. Well, yeah, because the Justice League, they don't exist anymore, right? No.
0: All right. He goes back in time. Yeah. And he meets an alternate version of himself. That's the... the Yes, it's right. it's
1: it's it's like it's not quite a multiverse film, but it's like
0: a duo verse film. A dual verse. Yeah,
1: like worlds colliding kind of yeah. thing. Because you've got you've got Ezra Miller from the initial timeline, you've got Ezra Miller from this kind of uh like alternate yeah. new timeline that he's mm-hmm. created. You've got Supergirl played by a person who I don't know if she's played Supergirl before. She might have played no, like I a think, TV. I think, show I think it's or her first. Oh, it is her first. I think so. Uh, and then, most famously, mm-hmm. or like disgustingly, yeah, um, you've got Michael Keaton as Batman. Yes,
0: another one of those. Oh, all, all the worlds are connected. All yeah. the Batman, all the Spider Man, all the, all the, all the olds. Um, okay. If
1: indeed it is the same Michael
0: Keaton, well. Yeah, It is, isn't it? Let's not split his. Well, that's... Yeah. I mean, depending on how your view of the multiverse, there are infinite Michael Keaton Batman, Batman, as well, well as... Well, like, yeah, because that's the thing. He
1: hasn't run into another universe. He's like, run into back into his own past, but he's created another version of it.
0: Yeah. Like, whatever. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, I actually quite like the baby shower idea. So, when the hospital's attacked and all the babies fall out... Oh, right.
1: The, oh, yeah, when he, like, microwaves the baby. And he has to,
0: yeah, yeah. keep... He's saving... Mu- I like that. But then he calls it out. He calls it a baby shower. Oh, right. Like, I I tittered when I watched it and thought, ha, a baby shower. Right. But then he said it, and it completely deflated Mm. that. Um, Gag reflex. Gag reflex. Always the same in these films.
1: The CG is shoddy. Is this the worst CG ever for, like, a 200-plus million dollar film?
0: It's definitely up there. I mean, at Man and the Wasp, I don't know what the budget was, but that's up there as well. Oh I, no! This I, is I think worse. it was Quantum Mania. No, yeah, Quantum Mania. Yeah. No, no, this yeah, yeah. is worse than Quantum. Yes, it, it is. And not just. I mean, when you go into like the the parallel timelines and it's showing, you know, mm. Cesar Romero's Joker and you know all that shit.
2: Oh yeah. Like okay,
0: fine. If it's shonky, then whatever. But like the babies, obviously the CGI babies. Yeah. I mean, look like the crib-dead train-spotting kid <laughs> when it's crawling on the ceiling. Yeah. It was very unsettling.
1: There's... Um, I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but I believe it was the director was mm. confronted about this CGI. Because yeah. it's it's known, like, at this point in the industry, obviously actors are striking, writers are striking, yeah. but the VFX industry is also, like, under heavy strain. Yeah. Because of all of these massive superhero films. they They could be, like... Something ridiculous like, you know, seven, ten, twenty different VFX houses mm-hmm. working on just one of these films at any one time. Yeah. They're overworked, they're underpaid and so the quality is diminishing rapidly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though they're putting more money into this and the technology's getting better. But yeah, the director was confronted about this. It was like, so the CG the whole thing looks like it's made of plastic. Mm. What the fuck? And the, the response they gave was something along the lines of, oh yeah that was deliberate. Yeah, sure. Because... It's supposed to kind of mirror what the Flash sees, right? It's like we're seeing the film through the Flash's perspective, so that's why everything's got this kind of like liquidy
0: mm. false quality to it, right? Which is total bullshit,
1: it is I would total say. bullshit
0: because that's not clear. No, if it was like, oh, it looks like that because of that, then that's one thing, but yeah, it, you don't get that sense. No, at all. the
1: film never considering how like quick the film is to draw your attention to things which it clearly wants you to know yeah. like baby shower and like certain plot points and things like that mm-hmm. it never once draws attention to this kind of liquid plastic look the whole film no has.
0: well the only ex- p- potential exception is so that the interdimensional plane i'm sure it's deliberate that that it's very video gamey in its graphics okay but it's nevertheless shit yes but I'm sure there was some self-conscious design in that. Otherwise not. Oh, I'm
1: sure someone said to the director, please, I'm begging you, yeah, this make,
0: isn't possible. Yes, let's do a cutscene. <laughs> let's for the video compromise again. Yeah, somewhere,
1: yeah. please. But that's the thing, like if you were going to do that, if you were like designing this from the start with the kind of idea that like, right, it's gonna be very CG heavy, how do we kind of deal with that? Yeah. Well what if we do kind of integrate this idea of like the whole thing is kind of through the flashes perspective Mm -hmm. there are things you can do there yeah that can make it work you know you could do like you could you could do what spider-verse has done Mm -hmm. where like you could you could have because the whole thing is shot on a a green screen anyway Mm -hmm. so you're gonna have a separate plate of the flash in pretty much every scene especially since he's got a body double in nearly every scene that he's in so he's never in the scene that he's never physically there yeah so you've got clean slates have the flash moving at like 60 FPS, and everyone else moving at the traditional 24 FPS. So he just kind of looks smoother and quicker, and just like out of rhythm with everything. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, like what they did with Quicksilver, you know, in uh, in Days of Future Past. Uh, There are ways of doing it. It doesn't have to be like... It can just be basic. I mean, we've seen this thing done in films for years, where basically just every, everything is still mm. while they walk around normally. I think, that, That'll do. Yeah,
1: I do think that Hollywood in general just has a really... They still haven't really figured out how to
0: do speed properly. No, no, but I'm fine with that. I'm I'm fine with, oh, everyone's either moving incredibly in slow motion. Yeah. I get it. I don't need it to kind of look... Maybe someday a film will come along where they nail it and you go, oh, right, okay, that's what we were missing. Yeah. But I'm okay with, like... You know the burger is slowly falling to the ground, and the and the hero is just walking around normally picks it up and eats it. Like that's probably that's fine.
1: Yeah, that's probably the best we've got at the yeah, moment. Yeah. I don't like like this whole nonsense about like at the beginning of the film when it shows Flash running from whatever, wherever city he lives to Gotham. Yeah, and he like takes off and he's just running in a straight line. Yes. No, there isn't a road in the world that is connects two cities that would require yeah. someone who's running that quickly to basically make no corrections whatsoever.
0: It, it, it just doesn't make sense, really. I mean, if you're running that fast, obviously the idea is for him it's... He's
1: in the middle of the road as well, my Yeah, opinion. that's what I so
0: there's for, Like, for, no traffic is yeah, colliding with him. for him it's slow. Yeah. So, to him, when he's running, is it slow? Yeah. Like, does it actually... It takes him fucking ages to get somewhere, but to us it's quick. Mm. Or does he get there quickly to him? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because when you see this in slow mo, and he's like avoiding things, and it must take you forever. Then you're just still you're just running like anybody else. It just happens that the rest of us are stopping. Yeah, he'd be knackered all the time, (laughs) (laughs) constantly. I think they try and flirt with that a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
1: there's this, this, yeah, there's this new idea they introduced at the beginning of the film that he, like, I think in previous films he says that he metabolizes really quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got a little gauge that keeps track of like how much energy he's got. Yeah. And he's about to run out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when he's saving the babies, he's ba- he like has to cook a burrito because he's he's like so tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his speed is like disappearing, which is good. Mm. It's like okay, we're adding some sort of like something we can keep
0: track of as well as the audience, but then they yeah. just. I don't
1: think that ever comes back again.
0: But you can also just, like, write that off. Like, I like things to be thoroughly thought through. But some things you can just write off as, okay, he moves really quickly. Yeah. He's running really quickly. But his perception does not match his speed. So he is perceiving it as though he's traveling at a normal rate of speed. Mm. So he can stop if he needs to. But he he is actually moving really fucking quickly. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that'll do. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah? That's, that's, that's... So he can zigzag like that through cars because he's just... See his brain is perceiving it slower than his body is, yeah, faster than it, you know, whatever. Well,
1: that was another thing they kind of wrote down in terms of the um, sort of like um, making the film look like something the Flash would see. Yeah, I mentioned the frame rate thing, but another thing as well is I think with I can't remember what program I saw, but it was like a wildlife program a while ago. They was they were sort of like explaining the differences between the eyes and the brain, like the connection between the eyes and the brain in different animals, Mm -hmm. like as humans we've got an incredibly detailed vision. Mm-hmm. But as a result, our reflexes are a lot slower than other mm-hmm. animals. Whereas you've got something like a fly, for example, which has imme- like wickedly fast yeah, yeah. reflexes, but the world to them is almost a blur. Yes. Because they have to give up detail for to be able to process information yeah. far more quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's something you could have done. That like, you know, oh, the Flash can... He has immensely fast reflexes because he perceives the world so quickly. Yeah. But to him, everything is a blur. Right. Like he's saving people's lives, but he can't like their faces. He can't even see them. Yeah, 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 he can't even see them, which might be why he's like this. He's like this wisecracking guy because it's like it's disguising the fact that he's like miserable as hell. Well,
0: because he's, he can't he's connect disconnected, or he doesn't really have to think about the people because he doesn't see them. Yeah. Know? So it's like he can keep a distance from them. He can yeah. maintain a distance from them.
1: It would also like explain. I mean, not that you you know, if you just ha- if you meet another person with superpowers, like you'd automatically be drawn to them. Mm-hmm. But he it would he would make such a strong connection with these superhumans that right. are able to
0: move at the same speed as him. Well, no one can move at the same speed as him. But Superman's probably close. Close. Right? I suppose just more more. It would be more along the lines of they also their powers come with sacrifice. Yeah. different A different type of sacrifice, but... Yeah. And it keeps... you know they're alienated from people and they find it hard to, you know... Yes. Something like that. Something like that. But yeah, yeah there's... No, all we get is shit CGI. That's all we right. get out of it. There's more wedonianism, Oh? Whedon. Like, more of that tone. Yeah, yeah. Quote, My ego is far too big to say thank you to someone else. I developed this all-powerful persona to compensate for my childhood trauma. Ugh. It's like, is this Lego Batman? You know what I mean? It's that kind of tone. Even so, I feel like it's getting
1: to the point now where modern uh, Whedonisms mm. are unfair on Joss Whedon.
0: Because I don't feel like... It's not his fault, but he got the ball
1: rolling. No, no, but not yeah. even that. I feel like I haven't seen Buffy the, Vampir- Fire- mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's <laughs> yes. probably like the big Joss Whedon thing, right? Yes. I don't feel like the dialogue in that show was that on the nose. Like, it was corny. It can be. But I don't feel like it was just... The characters were just like... I am character A. This is what I think in this moment. Not
0: really. I, like, sometimes. Well, I mean, it's, it's better... It's better than all the things that it's generated and influenced. Yeah. He, like, the Whedon thing, he's the best at doing it.
1: Mm. I mean, you said yourself. Like, you went back to the Avengers recently. Yeah. And the dialogue in that is actually, like,
0: fairly yeah. well constructed. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Um, but he set that tone, you know? Mm. And so now we have him to thank... For it. Right. So it's not even Lego Batman because Batman isn't funny in this film. No. <laughs> uh, I hate self aware dialogue, yeah. which we'll come back to, I'm mm. sure, and humor like that. It happens a few times in the film. And, like, naturally, it's the most recurring staple of postmodernism because it sits apotheosis, mm. pointing out and commenting on metaphors. That happens loads of times in the film. Yeah. Where a metaphor, someone will, you know, and then they'll go, oh, that, that's a flawed metaphor because X, Y, Z. It just, it, it really bugs me because it's kind of, it, it's faux intellectual, but it's the easiest thing in the world to do. Mm. Just come up with a, I could write you a shitty metaphor right now. Yeah. And just have another character go, that's actually doesn't, that's not logically consistent because uh, it's not intelligent. Hmm. It's shit, is what it is. Yeah, I completely agree yeah. with you, yeah. Ezra Miller has really become fucking annoying. Do you agree? I Right.
1: I started watching The Flash, mm. knowing that Ezra Miller was out there in the world. Yeah. Hitting women and... Well, forget all that. Fucking <laughs> Ignore being, all that. being Jesus or whatever he's doing now. Talking to aliens. What's he up to? He's just like all this mad shit. Oh, there's a cult thing going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Warner Brothers just, like, they just haven't acknowledged it. No. Which is baffling to me. Because, like, you at least want to, like, they've they've been, they've mishandled the Amber Heard thing too, but at Mm. least they were, like, responding to that. Yeah. Even when they were standing up for her, when they were like, oh, but she's she's actually kind of important, we can't get rid of her. Mm. People were like, well, I won't go see it then. Mm. They were still, like, engaging in that situation. They just haven't
0: touched the Ezra Miller thing. Which I'm baffled by. I think... Well, it's just more buried. Like, the Amber Heard Johnny Depp thing, everyone knew about that. Mm. Like, I don't think... Like, my mother wouldn't even know who Ezra Miller is. Yeah. It's it's kind of a more inside baseball story. Yeah. I agree that it's still... It's conspicuous... They're conspicuous in their silence. Yeah. But, like, that stuff... Okay, yeah, it's unethical or whatever. I don't give a shit about that, frankly, if he's good in the film. You know what I mean? Like, I could still watch American Beauty and love it. Yeah, yeah. That stuff, like... But... He's just annoying in the film. He's annoying. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. what I was
1: going to say, yeah. So I, I came into the film with that baggage. Mm. I started watching it. I didn't hate it when I started watching it. The film? Yeah. Well, same. Like, like I started watching it. I was like, this is... I am I am perfectly fine mm-hmm. sitting here while this happens in front of me. Yes. It not not Didn't feel that with Ant-Man. Didn't feel that with Shazam. Yeah. Don't even know, know what other superhero films I've seen this year.
0: Doctor Strange was that this year? Was that last year? It was last year.
1: Yes. It may yeah. as well have been this year. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that was last year. Um, but this one was like, yeah, I'm fine with this. But at the end of the film, I found it disgusting. Disgusting? Yeah, okay. I was I was just like, oh, this is just an awful... This is just everything wrong with everything at the moment, really.
0: <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Um. But yeah, th- there was a point in the film where I realised, oh, I fucking hate Ezra Miller mm. in this. What was the point? Can you remember? I don't... It was one of those things where, like, I realised that... Right. Something had changed at some point. Uh, right, okay. Because I, I was looking at him and I was like... I Scowling don't, and yeah, frothing at like, the mouth. Yeah, I don't like you. Yeah. I, I think it was oh. certainly after the second Ezra Miller, the oh. deliberately annoying Ezra Miller shows up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's meant to be the deliberately annoying one.
1: Yeah, the one that even the current Ezra Miller is like, wow, he's
0: really annoying. Yeah. he's like, yes, he is, isn't he? Well, that's, We still put him in the fucking film. Because he's so annoying resultantly, not entirely because of him, but the film is emotionally weightless because I don't care. Yeah. And plus the flash to me just isn't an interesting character. Yeah. There's not enough going for him to make him interesting. No. Batman is instantly interesting. The Flash isn't. No. Superman has to be made a little interesting because naturally he's not. He's yeah quite dull. But the Flash to me is just he goes quickly right. Um It also feels like just a strange character
1: to hang a story like this off of. Well, okay. This kind of, like, universe-shifting, timeline-redefining
0: storyline. We'll kind of come back to that. Yeah. I've got a note here, and it's been so long, I don't know what it means. Okay. Okay? It says, when he says, I love you, mom' in the store, what does that look like to her? Oh, I think think what that means is, he goes back in time... Mm. Sees her and everything slowed down, and he says to her, "I love you, mom." And like to her, in to her perception of being a Do you know? I, I just wonder like, what's that actually look like? she probably won't even see him, like, depending on how fast he's I supposed can't, to be going. Thing, I can't fully remember the, scene, but I think that's what I meant by it. Okay, because he says it to her, like in yeah. front of her. But <laughs> it's in just his, this yeah, guy, that, <laughs> the guy that you've never seen before. Just, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that leaves. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as ugly as Zack Snyder joints. No. Um, conceptually it's not a write off. If it wasn't Ezra Miller, if the graphics were decent, if there was none of that stupid humour, there might be something there. because mm. yeah, I didn't hate it either. Um Okay, which film do you highlight in the MCU as a good interaction of elements? Was it Homecoming? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Using the universe yes. that they've established. I think... also
1: funny enough, starring
0: Michael Keaton. Indeed. I think making a Justice League film without Superman or Batman as the leads wouldn't be allowed. But that's what this should have been mm. to me. This should have been a Justice League film. It's that adventure in that issue of the comic. Mm. You know what I mean? It's uh it's that Justice League story. Yeah. I know they're going for that in the grand scheme of things. Well, they've reset now, but yeah. Still, well, yeah, that's one
1: of the frustrating things about it is this this was probably yeah. supposed to be a big deal in the universe that it's now, like, bookmarked the end of.
0: Yeah, and so I know the idea was that this is just an instalment, it's not endgame, it's not the be-all, end-all, but the fact that it's just The Flash, the movie is just The Flash, Yeah. Um, I also understand that implicit within that suggestion is that it's inessential, mm. you know what I mean? And it is. Mm. But the film isn't an atrocity. You know what's going on, you see what's going on, yeah. it's takeable, you just don't care. Mm. I think. But yeah, I think this really would have worked as a Justice League film, like where you can have the Flash as your lead in one of your Justice League films. Yeah, in another one, you can have Wonder Woman as your lead. Whatever, like whatever suits that story. Well, it, it would be good to do that because it, it it sort of like justifies the team.
1: Yeah, really, doesn't it? Because if you got like if you just got like Superman on your team, it's like, well, do we need
0: the rest of the team? That's the really? that's the problem with Super. He's too powerful. Yeah.
1: And Batman, just for popularity's sake, it's like, well, we, we want to see what Batman's contribution to this yeah. whole thing well, means.
0: Batman is just the most interesting, is the thing, yeah. you know? I did not even begin to try to understand the time travel. No. It didn't earn that minimal brain power from me. <laughs> right. But what's on its way to a cliche is the idea that there are canon elements across the multiverse.
1: Yeah, that's uh, Spider-Verse had that yeah. as well, didn't they? Yeah,
0: which has been and is going to be used to justify adherence to law. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're all doing that now. The idea of like it's this postmodernism and it's stepped outside that even where it's kind of going. The, the idea the entirety, of the story yeah. is
1: imprinted on reality itself. Yeah, like yeah. the
0: totality of everything that's ever existed with these people. Yeah, it's all fair game now. Yeah, every you like that version. Well, good because it's part of this universe too. Yeah, it's like inclusive, uber inclusive.
1: Well, this is this is not a new concept to me, and it shouldn't yeah. be a new concept to you because mm-hmm. you've now seen uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, but Doctor Who had this as well, where yes, it's like sure. fixed points in time. Yes, where it was just like the show's way of kind of protecting itself from itself.
0: Well done with that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> right, job. here's just like here's an important event or point in yeah. the Doctor's life or just in the story of the universe. Yeah, 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 we can't touch it. Right, but of course, Doctor Who, being the type of show it is. Yeah. It's first instinct is to go, I'm going to touch it. Yeah,
0: it's the, it's the Jimmy McGill moment. Like, whatever you do, don't flip that switch. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, but, yeah.
1: that's Yeah, so it's... I I kind of get it that, like, you have to impose some structure on this. You have to, like... Yeah. When you're dealing with something that is truly infinite mm. and messy as every possible version of everything ever... You need to impose some structure on that, but it's yeah, too. I mean, as I don't know how it would it come across to mm. just like a normal cinema goer, but like me and you, as people who again who are kind of literate in the language of film, mm. it's just so. It Seems like such a lazy way of imposing that structure.
0: It's it's lazy and it's indulgent and it's kind of it 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 whiffs with well a. A, a lack of originality because oh, we'll use everything we have before yeah the TikTok Twitter social media universe where things can resurface and become memes and become popular again mm. uh, like films aren't as easily forgotten really as they once were mm. but more than anything it, it whiffs of that kind of woke inclusivity thing not woke in the sense of oh we have to make sure we have black and even though there's that as well mm. inclusive in that like it all counts yeah. if you like Andrew Garfield, it counts. Yeah, we're even going to pay off his emotional storyline. Yes. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. It was over. It's done. You know, like I'm, I'm watching Everybody Loves Raymond at the moment. Right. Um, and they're often asked, like, so when you're coming back, they're like, well, both the parents are dead. Mm. It's done. Mm. But every- they keep getting asked, and it's just like, no, it's over. And I've seen the trailer for New Fraser, and that's a bit, uh, a right. bit worrying. <laughs> okay. But you know, we can't let anything go. Yeah. I'm all for their multiverse-like versions of the Flash, but I want it to be contained within that universe, if you get what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, Michael Keaton's Batman is not part of the multiverse. Mm. You know? Like, you can introduce other versions of Flash that are part of this universe's multiverse, Yeah, but I don't have to think about all the old Batman films and all the old Spider-Man films. Well, I mean, it was cheap when
1: Marvel did it, when they brought uh, Tobey Maguire... Yeah. And Andrew Garfield back because it was their way of introducing the multiverse to their own canon.
0: Yes. But they were. They they hoovered in a couple of other canons. They exploited,
1: yeah, yeah, franchises that came before. The kind of like the affection that people have for them and the nostalgia they have for them. Yeah. They were able to exploit that to kind of boost the success of their own film. This, The Flash is doing that, Mm. but it's not even doing it for the character the film is about. Yeah. Because there is apart from like I think some people uh, people really like the, the Flash TV show. Right, right. But other than that, there is no like famous definitive version of the Flash.
0: I think the Flash I know is Wally West. That's okay. the name I know for The Flash. Well, they didn't but bring I... back Wally West. No, no, they no, brought it's Michael Barry Keaton's yeah, Batman yeah, and Michael Keaton's Batman. Yeah, but I think the Flash isn't popular enough to justify that. Yeah. Like the TV show, yeah, maybe. But other than that, no. No. Who knows all the Flashes? We all know Michael Keaton is yeah. Batman. Christian Bale them the, wouldn't do it no all of the nostalgia baiting in
1: this film is for like DC franchises other than the Flash it's all for Superman and it's all
0: for Batman that's the thing I think the Marvel cinematic universe hit low points before No Way Home mm. but that was it's jumping the shark moment because out beyond the scope of the Spider-Man franchises yeah it put into my mind at least and I think your mind well if they're doing that with Spider-Man why can't they do that with everything yeah you know, X-Men now. Is yeah. that all canon? You know, that was the jumping the shark moment. We, right, you've crossed the Rubicon. Like, yes. you've gone too far.
1: But also, that's the thing. They're only going to do it for the popular. stuff
0: that came before. And the stuff that's popular.
1: Because all of these, like, Doctor Strange mm-hmm. in Multiverse of Madness, there wasn't a single variant of Doctor Strange mm-hmm. that wasn't played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Because there hasn't been Because one. there hasn't been yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. exactly.
0: If so, there had been, he would have played other versions of Doctor Strange. That would be a good... Like, joke. I I think it'd be hard to pull off dramatically unless you really, like, that was what the film was about. A good joke would be you introduce a Doctor Strange as though it's Michael Keaton's Batman. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. who the fuck is this guy? It's like, well, no, he's, like, incredibly important. You just haven't seen that universe. Yeah. You know, that would be something. Because yeah. it's like they're kind of... They're kind of taking the piss in a way. You know what I mean? But yeah. that would be good. You could do a whole film about that. Like, oh, yeah, you're actually... You're not the first Doctor Strange. Yeah. There is this other one, and he's like, yeah, he's the equivalent of Toby Maguire or Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and Yeah.
1: Um And you'd even have like moments in the film like where they're cute their little cute interactions, it's like, you know, like in, in um No Way Home, there's so many where it's like, you know Mo- Maguire goes on about his back mm. hurting, or Andrew Garfield's finally having his chance to save Mary Jane. Yeah.
0: Um Yeah, little winks that mean nothing to the audience. Yeah,
1: but you like you'd have that with like they would leave the beats for like, oh we yeah, it's yeah, no, exactly. like a fun moment. The moment now. at
0: the end of Batman begins where he gets the Joker card. You do that stuff with Doctor Strange as though it's like audience gasp moment. Yeah. And but it's, <laughs> it's completely like a confused
1: yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> no one would find that funny other than me and you. No, that's I know the that's the thing. Yeah. No
0: one would even understand like the, the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to Yeah, he gets, like a, a letter in the post with like uh, like a rat insignia on it, and he's like, he looks up like at the at the horizon, oh, no. like, oh no, the rat has returned. The, the ratatat. <laughs> yeah, the, the ratatat. It's like, <laughs> what? What was this? Yeah, <laughs> How am I supposed to know what that means? Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Strange, it's me, your <laughs> most famous
1: nemesis, <laughs> yeah, the ratatat. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I can't believe they did the ratatat justice. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Ooh, can't wait for the sequel. You know, with the ratatat, it's too long, of course the flash yeah yeah it's way too long and considering its possibilities and the concept etc i developed something better than loathing for it something better than loathing as in not yeah uh, not, oh, right like, so, not so, so, more so, than loathing okay. something, yeah yeah something yeah a more positive feeling than i loathing. found a better version yeah. <laughs> of, <laughs> of hatred oh Jordan. i found that <laughs> um and then the and then the final battle and the proceeding multiverse showreel demolished that feeling well
1: that's the point where i was like oh this film is soulless horrible yeah
0: rubbish yeah the emotional finale in the supermarket Mm. is all that was needed yeah but i know you can't get away with not having a cheap looking fuck off action scene on barren wasteland yeah it's that again it's that again um it seems that's a go-to
1: yeah well speaking of that again i want to briefly return to doctor who for a moment right do you i know you remember very little of the show.
0: Of the Yes, of the later years. Of
1: the later yeah. years. Well, the, yeah, the only ones you've seen.
0: No, I'm in the later years of the later years. Okay, well, my yeah.
1: question was going to be, like, of the stuff you do remember is the Stolen Earth slash Journey's End amongst them. That's the season four finale where it's like... Everyone Stonehenge? Can... No, no, no. It's it's the season before that. Where David Tennant's kind of final season where oh. everyone comes back. Oh,
0: with the master being, like, a Jedi master. No, before that. No, it's before that. Davros.
1: They steal planet Earth and there's like 16 planets that they've stolen out of space and time. The Daleks.
0: I, I, not, not by It's description. Like,
1: it's like, it's the Doctor, it's Captain Jack, it's Sarah Jane. It's basically everyone that's been in a Russell T. Davis episode. Is, is that, was, And it wasn't his final... It was like, it was basically the finale and then like the specials were this kind of like weird little epilogue. And the
0: specials were the Jedi Master, was it? Yes. Because that was the end of Russell T. Davis, Yeah, right? that was the end of Russell yeah, yeah, T. Davis. Yeah, yeah. But they, yeah, they were the epilogue. The kind, finale... Kind was... of then. I, I, yeah, I remember the feeling of like... Being fucked with mythology. Yes. There's everything. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. No, you literally, you had everything from... Yeah, it was David Tennant, but you had everyone from Rose Tyler right down to Harriet Jones. Right. Yes, we know who you are. Yeah. I was kind of thinking of that when I was watching The Flash. Especially that end where they're bringing in, like, every conceivable... Like... The Nicolas Cage never happened Superman film yeah. was
0: even referenced. Yeah, in this. yeah. Like I said, Cesar Romero as the Joker in the '60s Batman. Yeah. TV
1: as if film. that has any relevance or connection to anything that's happened in DC in the past. Yeah. I don't know how many years, but yeah, I, I was thinking of that because it was like Journey's End is is like as a story, it's like fine, mm-hmm. but it's supposed to be this this like big final party of the Russell T Davis series, this big massive blowout where everyone's back, everyone has a role to play you you know you're fighting the most iconic villains yeah and you've brought back Davros as well so it's kind of like the biggest threats within the daleks that you could have them face yeah he's in it as well you got the shot at the end where like everyone is flying the tardis and it's all smooth and it's like this big like yeah it's this big like reunion at the end yes. of the era and i think that's what flash was supposed to be was it it was supposed to be like this i mean you have michael keaton Supergirl, but then you have Michael Shannon as well as General Zod, like the first villain from the first DC film. Oh,
0: you think they intended for this to be... Because obviously we're we're moving on now. I don't think this was designed as a finale for Okay, I was going to say, yeah, no, definitely not that. But I think that, like, they might... Once they knew
1: this was going to be the end, if Mm. they had any time left, they might have leaned into that a little bit. Yeah, okay. Especially, like like I said, with all the fan service stuff because why is that even in the story? It's got no place in
0: the story. I, I didn't think I could be, like... I'm not excited but enthused about like more Justice League stuff. But the idea of now like just getting rid of all that stuff yeah. and really actually getting rid of it. They have to do that. Yes. And now James Gunn is restarting with Superman like okay, we're back yeah. to Iron Man. That's like Yeah. Take it, <laughs> let's just take it easy. <laughs> Fucking calm down. Yeah. But yeah. even though I think like in the Superman film you've got Green Lantern is in it and uh maybe Wonder Woman because Nathan Fillion is playing Green Lantern. Yes. But a-, a version of Green Lantern. A version of Green yes.
1: Lantern, because of fucking course. Yeah.
0: But, you know... Yeah, but it's James Gunn. Yeah. And Rachel Brosnahan's playing Lois Lane, like...
1: Yeah. All right. But, we'll like, see. a Green, green Lantern in a Superman film. I don't know if that's, like...
0: If that's one of those, like, out there, like, oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, they're both Justice League, I think. Mm. Both aliens. Yeah. I th- oh, no, no, he's not an alien, is he? Green Lantern. Or at least one of the... Ver- I don't know how it works. But he's, like... He's the product of alien...
1: Yes. Whatever. Yeah, the tech is. Yeah, the
0: tech. Is, yeah, yeah. I think the tech is alien. Yeah.
1: But yeah, like that's like oh, a, a Superman origin story that has the Green Lantern in it. That's new. He must know yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. Hopefully. He knows and what he's I doing. I don't to know do that.
0: what the idea is. I I think maybe it's like his early years at the Daily Planet. So it's not necessarily him at Smallville and all that. It's Yeah. Early... I don't know. I don't know. We'll see, but... Um,
1: yeah, which might be nice because that's what Man of Steel was. It was more Smallville than Daily Planet. Yes, um, yeah. So to have a, an origin story that's a bit more well, Begins, dynamic, I suppose. Well, Batman Begins is the
0: best one, right? That's the yeah. best superhero origin film because it, it it is, in the Nolan way, as we'll get to, it is intercutting between timelines and yeah. you get the origin and you get the early days, mm. you know, and you get a, a serious villain. So there's a way to do it. Like, the Smallville stuff needn't be long. I mean... It really doesn't. He no. crashes. He's raised. You're an alien. What? He can jump across cornfields. Yeah. Uh, what's if I Metropolis? Like done. <laughs> yeah, you're done.
1: I just want to clarify as well with the journey's end point. Yes. Um, I'm not saying that the two are comparable. Right. My point was going to be that with Journey's End, it did genuinely feel like a celebration. I, I'm, right. I, I'm part of that is like I was the right age when I saw it, so it could be nostalgia. Also,
0: it was self-consciously that, like, it yeah. was the end. Whereas this. They might not, they probably didn't know it was an end.
1: Well, that's that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. when, when when you've got all of these people fighting the Daleks and kind of like seeing how far those characters have come in the four years they've yeah. been on screen, there is this kind of sense of like, oh, yeah, we've been on a journey. Like, we've gone somewhere. Something has happened. Yeah. Even if when, you're fooled.
0: Yes. So I'm, exactly. not, I'm not saying you weren't Doctor Who because. They- a lot of that stuff is really good. Yeah. But like Endgame, where they're all finally, that shot of them all running together, like, right, okay, this is the end. This is what it was all building towards. Yes. I feel like I've travelled. Exactly. Um, where, yeah. Whereas when I saw Michael Shannon
1: on that salt flat, like oh yeah. It was like, <laughs> we haven't gone anywhere. This, this is know. like, we're
0: back to Man of Steel again. Yeah. You know? And it's not like he was such a great villain. like. But it, that franchise hasn't had any, right? No. It's had, yeah, it's had Michael Shannon. It's had Jared Leto. It hasn't had any great films, has it? I mean, does, does the Suicide Squad count? Great film? Very good. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a great film. It's a good film. The Suicide Squad? Yeah. It's better than good. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it great, but it's a very good film. Yeah, I yeah.
1: no, I, I would agree with yeah. that. So, like, if you want to count Peacemaker in that, not the TV show. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um... No, I'm just thinking of films now. Films that are good in that universe. Okay. I don't know if a Suicide Squad is. I, I don't know where that stands.
1: Okay. Well, you you talking about the first one now?
0: No, the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm confused by what you're saying. So you said you don't know where it stands,
0: but you also said it's very good. No 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 no. I don't I know where it stands in my opinion. I don't know where it stands in relation to the universe. I, well, Zack Snyder purists hate it. Right. Because it's James
1: Gunn yeah. and they the argument that I see all the time online is that the Zack Snyder films were actually very profitable. Mm. James Gunn's The Suicide Squad lost money. Mm. Therefore it's an objectively worse film. Sure. But Warner Brothers have decided to go
0: with James Gunn. Yeah. Because they hate Zack Snyder and they're bigoted or whatever. Yeah, he's a martyr. Yeah. No, but is it part of the universe? Is this, does the Suicide Squad take place in the same universe as Justice League? I believe it does. Right, okay. Then that. That's the the one good one, I think, right?
1: Yeah. People seem to like Wonder Woman. It's okay.
0: I'm not a fan. Birds of Prey, I like more than I thought I would. Yeah. Um. That's about it. Yeah. So, can we agree now? The time travel and multiverses... Over now. Now, 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 now. Oh, now, no. Now, no. No, no, no. You and now, I totally now. agree. It's time. Over. We yeah. completely agree. But, but the... it's not for us to decide. No, I know. It? But it's, the, the, they have ended it now in that universe. Like, at least get one universe where that shit isn't happening. Because <laughs> the MCU, there's no stopping that train. No. The DCEU, that's... Calm now. What's <laughs> <laughs> what we
1: said, wasn't it? That, like... There were flashes of... Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, in the Suicide Squad, there were moments where it was like, oh, yeah, this is like... If you'd if you just, like, taken it in this... You'd pivoted this way slightly. Yeah. This would have been a perfect anti-Marvel mm-hmm. thing. Announcing the Peacemaker TV show, then killing the character in the film and going, yeah, there is no Peacemaker TV show. The character's dead.
0: Yeah, and it's a shame that it's James Gunn as well. That it's not like he was taken out of his hands. And, yeah. You know, no, he chose that. Yeah, actually, yeah, thinking about it, Peacemaker TV show shouldn't instill much confidence for his vision of the uh
1: My only like the only thing that I'm sort of taking from that is it's a TV show. Mm. It's we were with the character a lot longer than we have been with his films. So maybe he's just not good on long term projects.
0: Yeah, there's a season two of that coming, right? Yeah. Is that part of his new vision? Oh who knows. Right. Over. Done. Yeah. Don't think. Flash it is happen. done. Yeah. Asteroid City. This is the Wes Anderson
1: film that Wes Anderson did.
0: It did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, it's gorgeous from the first frame. Oh, it's a feast. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of of his best-looking films. It's one of his best-looking films, yeah. It's up there. Definitely. As could be expected. It's very much to my taste. Deserts? Just his visual style. Okay. But I did worry from the off that it was going to be too much. Okay. The sheer amount of text on the diner. Oh, right. Um, Just, like, burnout from overstimulation. Like, having to really get everything in, you know. And, of course, you can re-watch it, but I want to kind of... I want to get the fundamental experience the first time. Hmm. This, anyway, that ultimately turned out not to be the case. I like its relative restraint compared to, say, The French Dispatch. Okay. Um, Restraint in what respect? Because
1: this is a massive cast... Cast, yeah, but visually. And there's a lot of... Okay, because I was
0: going to say there's a massive cast and there's a lot going on as well. Visually, yeah, but it's kind of one story, you know, with things orbiting it. The the alien stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the French Dispatch, the the problem with that film was that it wasn't really about anything. It was anthological. It was kind of... Oh, vaguely, it's about this paper, yeah, but it wasn't. It was like these three separate stories. Well, that's interesting because I was going to say that, like, that's kind of my problem with
1: Asteroid City. Is that I agree with you with the French Dispatch, yeah, yeah, but I think that's just that comes from it being anthology, yes. uh, you know, anthology. Mm-hmm. Like, every story is kind of different, mm-hmm. some are going to be better than others, and it's going to the connection is very loose, yeah. But with this, like, yeah, it's um. In terms of like a plot summary, I wouldn't really know what to say. You've got the family; no. they go to, they they break down in Asteroid City, which is this uh, town in the middle of the desert mm-hmm. near a crater,
0: asteroid yeah. crater.
1: They're traveling to the Jason Schwartzman is is like the main. This just need to
0: be done. I will ask. Well, this is what I'm.
1: Hopefully, this leads to something. Right, Jason Schwartzman is kind of the main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got two kids or three kids. Uh, Four kids? I don't know. Joe. I can't. Remember. I think there's like three daughters and a son. Okay. I don't know. His wife is dead. hmm They don't know that the wife is dead. They're going to the wife's father's house, their grandfather's house, where he hopes to tell them that the wife is dead. Yes. But they break down on Asteroid City, so the grandfather kind of has to come and get them. Mm-hmm. And they they end up like, um, yeah, just like ingratiating themselves into the community. Jason Schwartzman kind of forms a bond with Scarlett Johansson, who's one of the characters, various characters there. Mm-hmm. There are all of these other little micro-stories going on as well. And then halfway through the film, an alien shows up. Yes. Takes the asteroid from Asteroid City. That kind of, like, takes over the narrative a little bit, where everyone's just like, there's a fucking alien that's just shown up now. Oh, fuck.
0: You yes. Know? Yeah.
1: But, yeah, I, I, I would say that, like, my main problem with it is I don't really know what the core of it is. I know the alien stuff kind of hangs over everything. Yeah. But that doesn't feel like the heart of Asteroid City. No, no,
0: I don't think it's a tightly written piece, and it's not. It's one of his worst films. But that's yeah. He's he generally makes very good films.
1: Well, this is another one of those films where it's like it's artifice within artifice within
0: artifice. Well, okay. So of course it's indulgent. It's a Wes Anderson film, but the most important indulgence in this one is form, not style, like it was with *The French Dispatch*. Okay, the that film was so indulgent because of its visual. You know, panoply, just how much there was. Yeah. Black and white shit going on all the time. This one, it's more about, yes, that thing of boxes within boxes.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, because like the framing device, which doesn't feel entirely necessary to no. me. No. But yeah, it's like it's an episode of a TV show that's covering the production of a play, mm-hmm. and then the film that we're seeing is the play, the play, but like in an actual location rather than taking place on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Like, in, in reality... I don't think it's an actual location. In it's, reality, reality, yeah. the play is taking place on stage, but yes. we are seeing the events unfolding in a town, like an actual town that the characters are
0: inhabiting. But, it, but isn't it, um, isn't that their set, essentially? That's what I'm not sure of. Yeah, so this is... Okay, so we'll come to that. Yeah. As always with Anderson, there's satisfying order in a chaotic universe, mm. right? It's said that writers, directors at heart are broken control freaks, um, having to impose a structure and narrative on things, fabricating their own little worlds in which they god. And you tend to forget that until you watch Wes Anderson. <laughs> it becomes very clear that's exactly what's happening. Um, when Alien lands, the little final extension on the pole on which the alien descends, that's Anderson in microcosm. Yeah, embellishment just, yeah upon embellishment. embellishment. of detail, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a great moment where uh, one of the standouts for me in the cast was uh, Maya Hawk. Ethan Hawke's daughter playing the teacher. Oh yeah, and she's talking to the kids, and she's t- trying to tell them about Jupiter, teach them space. And I think one of the kids goes, "Except now there's an alien." the <laughs> occurred to me, if the, if that ever happened, if aliens ever landed, that line could slot into any delivery of information. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the in ten sixty six, there was a battle of Hastings, but you know now there's, there's an, an alien. <laughs> <laughs> Witty dialogue, as you can expect. Oh, this is the thing. Like I I, I I've started off. Quite negative. No, we'll get to. Well, I think we'll get to what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: but no, like this. This film does have some of ha- and, uh, Wes Anderson's best habits on display. Yes, Let's it's just, funny. It's yeah, the visual beauty of it. Yeah. it it's it's really funny. Yeah, like the, when the, the, those moments of of hits, they do hits.
0: Yes, it's funnier than the French Dispatch. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting a proper crush on Maya Hawke. Okay. Um, it's comforting comforting to know there's a filmmaker that will touch wood. Never slip into political-cultural bullshit. Yeah. He never deals with that stuff. He just has his own stories and his own world. The,
1: yeah, there just doesn't seem like there's any room for it. In no,
0: the... it, well, it's not the real world. Yeah. You know, it's this other place. It's this fantasy. Okay, then there was the narrative of the experience, mm. rather than the experience of the narrative. Okay. It's the most brazenly meta Wes Anderson movie. Yes. You know, reciting the sonography, the cast list, notes to lighting department. Mm-hmm. It's one of the Ray Anderson films where the artificiality can actually be given a reasonable context outside pure style, mm. but you are never, but you are never under the impression you're watching a play mm. unless it's the idea of a play expressed expressionistically, which I, th- it's, which I is think what was my assumption. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that it's playing with reality in that way. Yeah.
1: Because there are moments as well where um, that reality breaks a couple of times. Brian Cranston is sort of the film's narrator. Yeah. He is the host of the TV show that is covering the play that is happening expressionistically in the desert. Yes. And I will say that, like, I just assumed that Wes Anderson was one of those filmmakers where anyone could work with him and anyone would, like, fit. Brian Cranston does not
0: fit in a Wes Anderson film to me. I didn't have as much a problem with it as you did. But I do kind of see where you're coming from. The, the stilted thing, he doesn't pull it off.
1: No, it off I everywhere. think... Because, you know, you've got Hal, you've got Walter White. They're like charisma powerhouses. Yeah. And it's such a deliberately uncharismatic performance that he's delivering. Yeah. And it just it clashed for me. Because especially since there are other actors within the film where it feels like they've reached some sort of compromise between, quote-unquote, real acting mm-hmm. and Wes Anderson acting. Yeah. Tom Hanks, um, Hong Chau, so is yeah. that name? They felt like they were kind of delivering performances that could exist outside of a Wes Anderson film, but also didn't feel out of place. I know what you mean. Whereas Brian Cranston felt like he was doing an impression of a Wes Anderson character
0: and it didn't suit They're him. They're as naturalistic as it gets in a Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Whereas Cranston was going more for, oh, I'm supposed to sound artificial. Yeah. But he's got a Isle of Dogs. I know it's, it's, it's Which is voice, weird, yeah. But that's, that is strange. yeah. But but my point was going to be that like he does
1: actually show up in the play at one point, and the characters acknowledge that he's in the play. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I better leave."
0: It's just kind of yeah, the boundaries just kind of fall away at a certain point. Yeah, anything that lends it a scale, that tips it into the cinematic, mostly the nature of the set and the sound design, nullifies the sense that it's theatrical. Yes, just the sounds of the desert, and you know. Yeah. Um. So if we're saying that it's a play being portrayed figuratively. We're close to the definition of film. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, why literalise the notion so heavily at the beginning and keep constantly reminding you with intertitles? Do you know what I mean? If what he's doing is, oh, we're doing a play, but it's like expressed in this different way, you're talking about a film. Yeah. That's what a film is. Because that might be fun.
1: Like, Wes Anderson films have this layer of artificiality to them anyway. The Grand Budapest Hotel exterior is very clearly. A miniature yeah. all of his chase sequences have this kind of like jerky falseness almost like it. Danny Hill exactly the, the, the little, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, for, for the characters to be occupying a town completely constructed of like cardboard cutouts yeah that could be fun also well it could be, again, it could be like an interest like it, it, it wouldn't feel totally out of place for Wes Anderson but it would also be uncharted
0: territory for him it'd be interesting to see if he could pull that off well we'll circle back to that as well because there's a comparable film um Yeah, so it sits somewhere uncomfortably between play and movie as a result. Yeah. This is a place that Anson Films repeatedly occupy, but we've never been given a reason before Mm. for the artificiality, and that's what made them work. Yeah. If that's just the way that they look, you don't question it. Yeah. Whereas we're told now it's a play, and I go, no, it's not. Yeah. Look at the scale of it. Yeah. Um, Where's the roof? Where's the roof? Yeah. When you start thinking about the style as a construct within the picture, it loses something. Okay. It's interesting that he's getting more grounded than abstract in his development, though. You think this is more grounded? (laughs) Yeah. After everything we have just been talking about. No, but this is what I mean. Like, the neurotic need for control only grows more obsessive. So, yes, that conceptualization of what is it is abstract. By more grounded, I mean, he is is reading the set design to you. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, breaking it down. Um... I think all of this is legitimate criticism. It's about whether you care. Whether you're just happy living in these elegant boxes Mm. and surrendering to the experience. I like it in there. Yeah. And it takes some time. But if you're partial, you do fully surrender, I think. Okay. Because if this is a play, the performances are atrocious. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: No, they're film performances. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: No, I don't mean that. I mean... Because of the whole idea of Anderson is it's so artificial. If Mm. I'm supposed to be watching an actual play, they're bad actors. Right. Because they're delivering it in that artificial Wes Anderson way. Um, And why is everything on stage labelled? It's like we're still in (laughs) pre-production. But yeah, Dogville was the film that I was talking about. Right, um, Which was essentially a play on a soundstage with minimal decoration and literally painted outlines of this is someone's house and it would say living room on the floor, you know down to, I rewatched it recently, down to gooseberry Bushes. Oh, right. You know, out on the street. Um, But it wasn't a play. Mm. It was a film Mm. that just had that kind of look to it. And then Asteroid City does become a play. And it's kind of like time travel. Just go with it. Right. Like, all that conversation we've had is is legitimate. But it's like, if you're up for it, you're up for it. And I can see if you don't like Anderson, this is not a film that's going to win you over. No, no, no. As soon as all the boundaries start breaking down and the whole thing is impressionistic so you know when you get it shows the actors and they start singing or they delivering a monologue yeah there's like there's a line they keep repeating uh, yeah outside the context of the play it weirdly for me allayed my earlier misgivings because it's like oh the whole thing is abstract right do you know what i mean it's like now that i'm not supposed to really assume it's a play Hmm. it's all kind of expressionistic impressionistic whatever word you want to use um the ending does feel like it wraps everything up nicely uh, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Okay. I thought I was going. In, oh, this is really one of the weaker Anderson, and it is, but it's still good, I think. Okay, uh, but I understand your concerns with it.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I I had less. Um, I wasn't as bothered by its relationship to
0: reality, or, or yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't as kind of engaged with it as you were. Well, that's why I called it the narrative of experience because I start off going right. What am I watching? Is this a play? No, it's not. Listen to the sound. Mm. About the end of it, it was like. None of it's real. Right. So uh, I don't have to really think about it. Do okay. you know what I mean? It's kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was just like,
1: um, like I said, for every good habit and good moment that the film has, mm-hmm. there was like another thing that would just, yeah, that would just kind of bother me a Fit. little bit. Did you like it more than The French Dispatch? Yeah, I liked it more yeah. than The French Dispatch, definitely. I'd watched this before I rewatched yes, that. definitely. Well, like I said, I suppose they're little things in the grand scheme of things. Brian Cranston isn't in it that much, no. ultimately. I will say, yes, Like go, I've said before, An- Wes Anderson Films do have this artificiality that you accept. Yeah. That said, the CG alien was a mistake.
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yes, that was bad. Yeah. It, it was too janky. It, it's kind of... It was just bad CG.
1: It, and, yeah. and not like in a David Lynch way where it's uncanniness Turns into something that
0: enhances yeah. the experience, or it's meant to look a bit shit because it's a play, because it's a Wes Anderson film, whatever. But yeah, no, but it's you're right, it's not that. The it's biz- too bad.
1: The bizarre thing about it is that we see Jeff Goldblum in an alien costume later in the film. Yeah, you, you that's it. That's that what, would have been fine. That would have been fine. And if if you did it for scale, if the idea yeah. was
0: like, oh, we need a CG alien because it needs to be small. Yeah. Do like camera trick, shrink down Jeff Goldblum. That'd be fun. Or I mean, I wouldn't do that just so you can differentiate between if you're gonna have a guy in a costume later. Do it as like stop motion or clay. You know, like something yeah. where it's it doesn't look right. Yeah. But it's it's good. Or what it is.
1: If you're gonna do it, uh, if the idea is that the the what we're seeing in the town isn't an impression, it is the actual play yeah. taking place. Puppets. Right. Or do like do what they do with War Horse, where they have like these kind of yeah, yeah. massive
0: puppets that they yeah, wear, yeah. or almost. even like cardboard cutouts. If it was done well enough, yeah, you you wouldn't question it because it's a play, because it's a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jeff yeah. Goldblum peeking out from behind this cardboard cutout of an alien. Yeah, but again, if I'm supposed to think I'm watching a play, even an expressionistic one, why is this CG? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, yeah. you're right. That that was the weakest thing in the film.
1: And the alien doesn't do anything. It it doesn't have an anatomy that means that it has to be done in CG. Nor does it do do anything that you wouldn't be able to replicate with a physical prop.
0: It's a typical alien, when you picture an alien, right? Yeah, it's it's a
1: typical alien that just looks a bit surprised and picks up a rock and that's literally all it does. Yes.
0: Yeah. I would recommend... If you like Wes Anderson, I would recommend it. I would recommend it if you're into film. I don't think I'd recommend it to most people, though. Because I think it's very much like if you've... it, it, It is like, taste when it comes to food. Yeah. If you don't like the taste of his films, you will not like it. Yeah, this is not a gateway film. No.
1: It's not a gateway. You need, you need to like him, or you need to have been exposed to him before yeah. yes. um, Before you try it. What is the gateway film? Royal Tannenbaum's. Royal Tannenbaum's or Grand Budapest*. I think. Yes. Because while Grand Budapest* is full-blown Anderson yeah. in style and presentation, like, and, like, everything, mm-hmm. I think the humour makes it accessible enough for people.
0: Yeah, it's the most... A broadly funny one, I think. And uh, *Rolling and bounds is more for me anyway. It's more emotionally. Yeah, you invest in it more emotionally. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but the thing with *Grand Budapest* as well, if I'm remembering correctly, it's not a book or a play. It's it's someone telling a story, telling about someone telling them a story about yeah. someone. To, that's the artificiality of it. Yes.
1: Yeah. There's like yeah. There's two or three levels of storyteller.
0: Yeah. So it all happens in the real world. It just looks the way that an Anderson film does. Yeah. Okay, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. Do, do,
1: do, <laughs> do, do, do. I'm a bit annoyed, Sam. Part one? Well, this is the thing. This is I like I've done nothing but complain. Yeah. About these part ones. Yes. That are f- like forcing themselves on us mm. without consent in in the world of cinema. It's like you you're gonna you're gonna watch this two and a half hour film and it's not gonna finish and you're gonna be fucking pleased with it. Yes. But this and Spider Verse, they're both like really good. Or they're both oh, like okay. they're both like pretty good. Yeah. So that's the problem is that I, I have to say like, yeah, I don't like that this like be- splitting these films into multiple parts is yeah. happening. But the two big examples are both films that I ultimately like.
0: Yes, uh, I also ultimately like it. Mm. I do, um, I mean, it used to just be understood that. Unless it was like a James Bond film, but even then, in some cases, like Harry Potter, it was the same series, the same story playing yeah. out over multiple films, and you could just give them different names.
1: Well, even Harry Potter had the. Part At the, the end, lines. it did, yeah. yeah.
0: But, like, do you know what I mean? Well, I, was, I think that was the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that started yeah, it. That really started, The Hunger Games did it. Yeah. Just call it something else. It's possible and then call the last one dead. Right, they don't have to do part one, part two. Yeah, it's not so crucial that we consider these Infinity War and Endgame are called different, yeah, you exactly. Know. Yeah, yeah, and that is one big story, essentially. Mm. Tom Cruise, um, is one of the two producers of this film, yes, but at the beginning it says a Tom Cruise production and that sums it up, really, yeah, doesn't it? I, I don't know if they did that at the start of the other films, I, like I can't remember, I don't have no idea, but I like it, I like that the series knows what it is. It knows what its strength is. Oh, yeah,
1: you, you don't do a plot summary for a Tom Cruise film anymore. No. You explain what type of stunts he's doing in it. Yeah, it's
0: a Tom Cruise film. Yeah. He's truly one of the few movie stars left, right? Maybe the only one. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, do, yeah. On that scale, certainly. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Uh, like, you'll never do TV. <laughs> no, yeah. I just can't see it. I can't see it happening. Um. Yeah, the exposition about the AI, the opening credits, classy schlock. <laughs> this film is schlock. It's well-made schlock. It's
1: incredibly well-made schlock. But it's schlock. It, it's, it It starts... It has, like, three cold opens. Yeah. That scene in... wherever it is, like, in the NSA building... With Mark Gatiss. Yeah, Mark Gatiss and Carrie yeah, yeah, yeah. Elwes and yeah. you know, all those other people. That really had me worried. Right. Because that scene, to me, felt farcical in, in, in parts. Because yeah. the idea is that it's supposed to be we are... You know, the various pillars of government. Mm. Feeding back to you, the National Security Advisor, that there's this AI out in the world. We can't beat it. It's in every system ever. Mm. We're fucked, basically. That, right outside that window is a room of like 10,000 people copying all of our data onto folders because any moment now, yes, that AI could cripple our entire national grid. Yeah. Our entire security network. Everything. But... It does the thing where, like, everyone's finishing each other's sentences. Mm. So someone will say something, and then someone will carry on the next piece of information. Dynamic! Like, yeah. yeah. And that's what it's supposed to be. It's yeah. supposed to be dynamic exposition. Mm-hmm. But it's the only trick in the book that they've got, yeah. that they use. And they've clearly got... They clearly went to the effort of differentiating these people. So you've got, like, uh, security, uh, like a military advisor. You've got someone who's probably yeah. a politician. Someone who's probably... Like a finance director or something, mm-hmm. they have different roles, but they're all delivering the same information to this guy. Yes, like that's how. I know that like a, an exposition scene like that, you can't re there. There's only so much depth that need be added to something like that because it's a purely functional scene. Mm-hmm. But that's what that's how you do it. You you have like a a, a guy in a military uniform say oh, well, the thing about this AI is we could actually use it as a weapon.
0: Yeah, lower our defences. Yeah, know.
1: and then and then the finance guy goes, yeah, but it could crash yeah, the yeah. markets. Yeah,
0: yeah. But they're not doing that. You pad it out with everyone's expertise. Yeah,
1: yeah, but they're just not doing that. They're just going, oh, the AI is scary and it's coming and we don't know what to do.
0: Yeah, that scene, beyond that exposition dump, it's kind of, I saw its purpose as, because everyone in there is a familiar face mm. and almost setting them up as, Characters, yeah. But they never come back. Maybe they will in the next one. Mm. But it's almost like these are the important... You know, in Hot Fuzz, they say, they cast everyone. Well, most of the villagers were people that had played villains yeah. in the past. That kind of thing. We're like, ooh, okay, who's the... Yeah. I guess just the very fact that they high-profile actors means that the characters are important. Mm. And then they're gone. Yeah. I get that was the point, I think. An exposition like... Was a byproduct, like okay, we can also do the exposition. Done, yes, you know, but yeah, no, I know what you mean
1: because especially by that point. As well, I mean the credits kick in about half an hour into this film. Yeah,
0: the, the, that scene rolls into the credits. Yes,
1: so for half an hour, the film is struggling to gain any momentum, and then it's just mired in this like. Cr- it's not crap, but it's like not a very good exposition. No, it's like, schlock. That's yeah. Really the,
0: okay, I'm watching like a film that kind of knows it's not very good. Yeah, like, on the plot level. Yeah, yeah.
1: and then. I don't know, as soon as those credits are over, it's just like, it's off, you know? And it
0: doesn't stop. Solid, clear storytelling. Yeah. It doesn't stop moving. Yeah. The action is good. Um, Yeah, yeah, the action is good, but it's
1: good within its own context. Right. I think you and I are the same in that we're not fans of Mission Impossible Fallout. Not not, particularly. We're not particular fans of Top Gun Maverick either. No. If we were ever going to re-experience those films, we would watch the action scenes on YouTube... Yeah. And never revisit the film yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: This film, I don't feel like that would be the case. I feel like I would revisit the film before. Okay. Like, I I, I feel like... I, I watch an action scene from Mission Impossible Fallout and I go, that's a really good action scene. I'm done now. I watch a, an action scene from Mad Max and I go, I really need to rewatch watch Mad Max. Right, right. I feel like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning would leans a little bit more towards Mad Max because the action scenes do actually, like... There's a continuity to
0: them. Yes, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. Like I I like good action movies. Mm. I like Mad Max, Love the Raid, you know. Yeah. Um for whatever reason, the this Mission Impossible franchise from the fifth one onwards just isn't fully my cup of tea. I don't know why. It's just not. I'm I think like, it I think it's that. I think it's like
1: obviously these films are stunts first. They decide yeah, what yeah, yeah. what crazy shit Tom Cruise is gonna do, and then they build the film around yeah. it. Yeah. This film was just better built. Like you've got that yeah. you've got that action scene in the airport, mm-hmm. uh, or obviously they're trying to track down the key and everything. But then you've got that action scene on the side where Benji is like trying to defuse the bomb. Yeah, and the AI is secretly like building a catalog of Benji's voice clips so that later in the film, yes, it can synthesize his voice and lead Ethan into a trap. Yes, very like clever. Again, it is a schlocky film, but it's very cleverly, you know that that scene matters yeah no i agree later on it's almost a shame that like the trap that they that the ai leads ethan hunt into is pom Clementif in an alley
0: right yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> like
1: that's how, that's how
0: like oh you're gonna die now ethan hunt here's here's
1: a small asian woman with yeah, a bat
0: yeah. you know yeah 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 But yeah, like i so said i i, I like the film um i mean my, my final note is it's good you know yeah yeah but like that's it for me. Like I will, I probably will never rewatch it. Oh, okay. My favorite Mission Impossible film remains Mission Impossible Three, and I know I'm the only person in the world. That it's thinks just because of it's because of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, and J.J. Abrams. Okay. I like that kind of uh, that's kind of storytelling. Okay. Um, but Hoffman, yeah, is is also the best film they've had, I think. And the opening scene is great. I uh, know anyway, I don't want to review Mission Impossible Three. No. But the point is, like everyone, the first one is kind of a late 90s espionage film with some over-the-top action stuff. Yeah. And then the second one is a full-on, stylized, John Woo action film. Mm. Over-the-top, but in that kind of like almost homoerotic way. Right. The third one is a J.J. Abrams movie. Yeah. Um, it's alias, but on the big screen. Mm. Uh, the fourth one, it, it is bet- literally between the third and fifth. It's somewhere between that. And then five onwards, it's been what it is now, yeah. with varying degrees of success. Yeah, And i it's just not really my cup of tea, and I don't know why that is. It's because, the yeah, usually the story is just not all that much. Hmm. They're not particularly well written. This is the best one since Fallout. Yeah. Because, um, yes, it's not just action scene, plot. They interact and intersect in this, yeah. which is really good. But it's still kind of a bit... Pfft, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I, I yeah. agree,
1: and it, and it obviously it doesn't have the kind of um, dignity and sort of coolness, I suppose, of of the better James Bond films. So it's not it's not as if yeah. it, it's not a franchise that you like watch and you're like, yeah, yes, yeah. Ethan
0: Hunt, you know. Well, that's because Tom Cruise kind of lacks personality. Yeah, oh, certainly now, like no, yeah. yeah, Ethan Hunt is is nothing now, nothing. I, and every character Tom Cruise now plays is basically Tom Cruise. Like, yeah. I rewatched War of the Worlds recently, okay. Which I, I really like the Spielberg one, and in that, and even in that, he's doing something a bit different. Where the whole thing of that film is, I think Kermo said it best. Tom Cruise discovers that true manliness is running away and, prote- <laughs> and protecting your daughter. <laughs> right. That film, he's just running from th- like. Okay. I know that's the th- thing Tom Cruise runs. Yeah. But it's him fleeing terrified, like, doesn't know what the fuck to do. His Mm. kids don't respect him. Right. His son wants to go off and fight, like, be in the army and fight them. And he's like, no, you fucking madman, no. And he asked to let him go. Mm. And it's like, that's something different. Now, yeah, Tom Cruise is just cool Tom Cruise guy. Whereas James Bond, at his best, has personality. Yeah. Unless it's Roger Moore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I think that, yeah, that's what it is. They haven't really... They have developed a reputation, but they haven't quite gotten to the point where, for me, the films can kind of stand up on on their own.
0: No, well, yeah, they lack gravity and emotional weight as well that James Bond can have. Yeah. Um, Obviously, they don't have the pedigree. um, But yeah, I guess guess that's the closest comparison. I mean, they are films that you watch for the stunts, yes, and for the action. And I, I would like a little bit more than that. And this film is a little bit more than that, but not quite enough for me, to make it like a worthwhile... Yeah. A fully worthwhile experience. It's
1: a promising start, though. Like, if, if, considering the next one is going to be a direct continuation, one would assume.
0: Yes. Well, I was under the impression that these were the final two, but they're not. I think they originally were planned. They originally were, yeah. but now they're not. Yeah. And that dampens them a little. It does. Not just for like, ooh, you know, a thing is going to end, mm. but also Dead Reckoning Part 1, Dead Reckoning Part 2... The ninth one. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you're
1: saying. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Um, and I suspect that like Haley Atwell was probably she's the legacy character in the sense that like you bring her in, yeah, she's gonna be the new Ethan Hunt basically. Yeah, Ethan. Oh,
0: (laughs) oh. Episode title? (laughs) What Ethan Hunt? (laughs) I really liked her in this though. Yeah, I don't remember not liking her. Yeah, she's she's like she's pretty good. She's a weird person to cast in the Mission Impossible. They they have their own little ghetto, like the, the cast of those films yeah. because they. She's not like an. She's not the biggest thing in the world right now. But maybe that's what they were banking on. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean. You're like, going
1: to be our Tom Holland, basically. We're right. going to build you.
0: But it's like Hayley Atwell. Mm. Like she's been around for a long time now. Yeah, she's Captain. What's yeah? Her face? She's um, Captain America's. Yeah. You know. So it's just weird that now is like her. In a mission, of, do you know what I mean? it's yeah. a, it's
1: a bit strange, but it's fine. But she, I don't know, she fits in.
0: I thought she fit in, yeah, no, she's good. She good. And
1: and I I think that the the driving the train sequence at the end is is great. Yes, and obviously the jump that leads to it is great as well. But yes. I, I I really like
0: the action scene in the middle where her and Tom Cruise are like handcuffed together and they're trying to that was good escape in the but car. But it's always funny. It always shatters the reality. And I think a Mission Impossible film, right? You're not invited to really. Um, escape into it as much as it's the definition of escapist entertainment
1: yeah
0: it's more just like look at this cool thing whenever it gets to the stunts they're filmed in such a way like on a GoPro, like like you'd see on a professional youtube video mm. to show you that they did the stunt yeah so I, th- those moments always break the kind of immersion to some extent because i know as a director you'd go right let's really make sure we film this mm. uh, the, the primary aim is not that it fits into the story or the visual language, the primary aim is to demonstrate that our actor did this. Oh yeah. Um, like, you know, him hanging off the plane and yes. is it Rogue Nation or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so there's always like a ah, oh, this is the money shot. Yeah. So yeah. Um I always get a little bit depressed when I watch Mr. Impossible because of Simon Pegg, because I'm just sad that he's not doing oh right. Interesting things anymore. He's not writing his own screenplays on
1: oh, his in. He's in, what's the film that he's in? The Legend it was, of. It's like Hodor and something, or N- Nondor or whatever. No, 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 no. no. It's The Legend of um, Gary the Mongoose or something. I don't
0: know what that is. It's
1: like a British film. Where he, he, he plays like a. I think it's like based on a true like right. legend or something. Um, he plays like a writer and then he goes to like a little village. Mm. And apparently there's like a talking mongoose there. And he he's basically goes to see if it's true or okay. not. And he's, put, he's putting on like a voice that feels like it's, you know... but like he a, it's, it's like a performance he's giving. But he,
0: also that, it's, he hasn't done anything good since the Three Flavours trilogy. Yeah. Not one thing. Like Mr. Impossible, okay, but that's not a Well, Sony I peg mean, film. you say,
1: you say that as someone who doesn't like Star Trek Beyond.
0: Oh, well, I like Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Star Trek Beyond, no. But I don't know. There's like, the Simon Pegg, Sean and Dead Hop. It was like, oh, this guy. Like he's a real, like yeah. a, as a writer, not just as a performer, yeah, as a yeah. writer. Yeah. And he just kind of, he stopped doing that. And that's a shame. So mm. I always get a bit depressed and he's looking older. And to me, he's yeah. like the, I know it happens, but I was a fan of Sean the Dead near the time it came out. Mm. And so he's very much like, I, I've kind of grown up with him in a way. Mm. And seeing him old makes me feel older. right? You know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's one of those guys for me.
1: Well, especially considering that we're kind of at the point in our lives now that he was doing Shaun sure the Dead, doing Shaun the Dead, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. the twenty-something. That's like,
0: yeah, you're th- on the you're on the verge of the rest of your I think life. He's now. literally in the film; he's twenty-nine. Yeah, you know? yeah. So like, we're nearly there. Yeah, you know exactly. So are we done with Mission Impossible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess the, yeah, the yeah. only the only like
1: other point that I've got is again in terms of those action sequences because it's a longer film. Yeah, and because they've clearly thought more about how these action sequences fit together. Mm-hmm. It feels like that they they squeeze the most potential out of them, right? Like you, those they they feel longer than previous films. But like for example, that train sequence, mm-hmm. I feel like in any other film, the train careens off the viaduct, smashes into the ravine below. They end up in the carriage that's just teetering over yes. the edge. Yes. action scene over. Mm-hmm. But no, it, there's, like the carriage falls, and then they have to climb up the carriage, and then the next carriage falls, and they have to climb up that carriage. Then another person comes in, and it feels like they're really like ratcheting up the test and yeah. escalation. Well, I it's know.
0: it's the equivalent of the Wes Anderson, you know, the the pod, the, the stick coming out of the leg, coming out of the leg. Yeah, embellishment. Like that's the Mission Impossible version of it. Yeah, shit just keeps going wrong. More action, more action. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good. You know, um, but I don't think I've had an inkling to watch rewatch any of them except the third one because no. that's got something a little bit more going for it. Yeah. At the end of the third film. Which is the most grounded of all of them. Okay. I can't remember the first one very well, but the third one's the most grounded. The
1: first one is the, the iconic, he comes down on yeah, the wire. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah.
0: And like I said, that's mostly like an espionage film. Like that film starts with John Voight as a CIA agent, and they're on a mission, but he's actually like, he's gone rogue, and he kills all of the other agents. Mm. Uh, and then Tom Cruise has to figure it out. But that, that that final chase in that is like a helicopter in the channel tunnel. Yeah. I, you know, it's like out there. And the second one is out there. It's all motorbikes and slow motion and beaches. And the third one, like I said, it's still a Mission Impossible movie, but it's the most grounded it gets. There's nothing uber insane, I don't think. But at the end of the third film, Michelle Monaghan Mm. asks him, what does IMF stand for? And Mm. he says Impossible Mission Force. Yeah. Is that true? Does that still hold? Has that been brought up since then? Impossible Mission Force? Yeah. Yeah, it's mentioned in this film. Is it? Okay, yeah. I don't remember that. So they are called that? Yeah. Okay, because at the end of the third film, it's kind of like, you know, we always talk about how do you justify something silly in a grand Oh, right, okay, yeah. And uh, to be fair, they don't like... He doesn't joke, he doesn't go, oh, the impossible mission of force, ha ha ha. Yeah. He just answers and she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's kind of it. But it's kind of a passing thing. Mm. How is it brought up? Is it just said and like taken to face it's value in this one? crazy exposition scene school, at the beginning. Blah, 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 the impossible mission of force. Yeah. And it's not like... They don't land on it. No, you know the, I mean? no.
1: The guy that runs it is basically like we have a guy searching for mm. the other for the key. And who is this guy? Oh, he works for the IMF. What's that? The, the you know the something monetary fund. And he goes, no, oh, right, not the bank. Yeah, 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 not
0: the bank. The other IMF. The right. impossible mission <laughs> force. Okay, so they are they they're embracing the silliness. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, that's what it stands for. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like we're supposed to accept that. Yeah. Oh,
1: I guess there is one more thing. I guess it's a minor point and it's yeah. not necessarily this film's fault. Mm-hmm. If indeed it is a fault. Uh, it's weird that, like... Obviously, you know, it's a franchise. There are certain constants that you carry through to each film. The Mission Impossible franchise is the side of the constant it's going to carry is the the faces. Yeah. The, the masks you can wear yeah, to make yeah, you yeah. look and sound like another person. It's reached the point now where that just feels weird. In what way? Well, because basically every mission... That Tom Cruise is accomplishing now, it's not you. <sighs> Remember Mission Impossible Four when they infiltrate the Kremlin and they've got that like screen? Yeah, yeah. That like follows your vision, so it kind of like it's able to kind of realistically screen the hallway behind it. Yeah,
0: it's kind of a projection of the hallway behind.
1: Yeah, it. so they're able to sneak up behind the wall without the guard knowing that it's like yes. flat screen. Yes, they don't have crazy tech like that anymore the The way that they solve yeah. missions now is Tom Cruise rides a bike off a cliff. Yeah, it's all very tactile, very practical, skillful stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's I I just find it weird when they introduce like almost sci-fi technology like that. Like, oh, we have this little three D printer that's going to make a perfect replica of Vanessa Kirby's face. I, like, I, well, up until no, now, no, you, I kind of know what you mean. Yeah, you, up until now, you were just like you were just infiltrating with pure like skill and yeah you're, now, you, you're supposed, now
0: you just have a magical item that'll help you. yes you're su- supposed suppo- you're supposed to suspend your disbelief in terms of the action not in the technology it's, yeah yeah like again with the third one they do the, the face thing but they make it a deal of it like they've got a scanner's face and then they've got to like knock him out so he's not around
1: yeah
0: it's like a big part of the mission It's like okay fine yeah, I can accept that. It's uh,
1: stupid, and, and I feel like in the early
0: days of Mission Impossible, it was it probably fit in a bit better. Well, I, I can't. I do not remember the first one at all. The second one, does it fit in? I mean, it's always a goofy idea because yeah. I mean, you see them create it in the third one. That that was its introduction. Okay. In the second one, the film starts with like a guy on a. I think it's Ethan Hunt on a plane, mm. and then it's actually the villain. and he pulls the mask off, and, like, and he plays this music, <laughs> and they crash the plane. Okay. And then someone dresses up as this Russian professor doing the accent and with the mustache. and I think it's just like, yeah, they have those masks. Yeah. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, it's a lot to ask. But that's like the,
1: it's like the only thing they really have. It's not like they have this James Bond arsenal of uh, crazy gadgets.
0: Uh, yeah. They just have masks. I suppose as the franchise has gone on, because it hasn't been the same voice directing it other than tom cruise yeah but i feel like he has only become tom cruise probably since the third one okay we're like oh he has as much say now in what Mm. the film is the first the second was the year 2000 so probably on the verge but yeah there hasn't been a an auteur it's it's past hands and it's ended up with tom cruise and christopher macquarie yeah who are now the guys yeah so I suppose it's as it's gone on, it's tried to figure out one of the essential elements. Mm. Like I was going to bring this up earlier. We talk often about, okay, you're doing a James Bond film. What must you have in a James Bond film? Yeah. And what the the, the multiverses are doing is kind of getting rid of that as a creative question and saying, oh no, within the mythology of this universe, those things must exist. Yeah.
1: If James Bond doesn't have a cool car, the entire movie yeah goes er- er- every
0: James Bond has a, a villain and a, and a yeah a cool car yeah. and yeah an M and whatever, yeah, rather than that just being understood outside the context of the film as an element that's consistent mm. so they've obviously tried to figure out as they've gone on what that is, and the two things that've stuck are stunts and masks, yeah, yeah, I don't know why the masks. Yeah, I, but I mean, they they full on you know. It's like they're not just masks. Well, that's the
1: thing because, like in that airport chase, the Luther has this like tech which like changes the faces of people on CCTV cameras to look like Ethan, right? And it's like there's probably not a version of that mm. out there in the wild, but it's not a million miles away from deepfaking. We no, have, no, we have a version of that technology. Yes, I can.
0: Yeah, I don't think we have masks that. No.
1: realistic that can be made in the way that the films say they can be made
0: no and again I'm trying to think of how it
1: depicts it again in the third one well in
0: Fallout they
1: literally like the guys in the bathroom they
0: just get a little pen and just go and the, and, the, and the machine is like building a realistic face yeah because now we've just got to the point where it's like oh fuck it's easy like fuck the yeah. in the third one like they build the thing around. they got to knock out Philip Seymour Hop. they got to okay <laughs> I'm trying to remember it right they've got to spill wine on him so he goes to the bathroom yeah then they knock him out mm. take his clothes except you, you know and they fucking wipe down the wine yeah then it shows the thing like constructing the mask they have like a little strip that he puts across his throat so he can replicate his voice yeah. puts a wig on they show you like so you can at least buy into it a little bit yeah and then the big dilemma is i think someone like hits him and the, the voice thing fucks up right. so he has to minimize how much he speaks mm. it's like that's good mm. i can kind of ignore the ridiculousness of the premise yeah if i'm kind of being shown how it's executed and how and the consequences of it going wrong well they're, they're testing it effectively aren't they yeah yeah uh and they're grounding it like, like okay i i a little strip there you know i get it whereas now it's just oh who cares who cares about that Like, it's like the iron man suits in the first one you know you seem fucking sweating and building it yeah and then by the end it's Call in my army of Iron Man. Yeah. You know, that don't need to be mad. Like, like, this b- 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 spills over him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, is that it? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Alright. Oppenheimer.
1: Oh no, what was it go like? I'm thinking of the soundtrack now. What's okay. it go like? It doesn't stop. <laughs> well, you know that. That noise that we hear multiple times through the film where it's like...
0: Oh, feet on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Technically, of course, it's a marvel. Oh, God, yeah. Yes. We like it. We like it very much. There are things I don't like about it. <laughs> and I kind of... But can we just, like... But that's the thing. That, yeah. For like, a moment... it's, it's easier to just, like... The things that you like, you don't think about, really? This, this is sort of the inverse for Asteroid City for me, where it's like,
1: yeah, I, I do like it. Yeah. But I do think attention needs to be paid to stuff that it gets wrong. Yeah. Whereas with Oppenheimer, it's like, no, before we get to the stuff that's wrong... Let's bask in the stuff that's good.
0: Yeah. Okay. The, the The
1: fucking magnificence of it, you yeah. know?
0: Yes. It looks really good.
1: Oh, it's, yeah, it's a stunning film. Yeah. It's one of Nolan's better scripts. I'd say. I would agree. I'm sure there is, there's stuff we'll say later that does, I suppose, like, paint the script in a negative light.
0: It's one of his best scripts in terms
1: of dialogue. Yeah, definitely in terms of dialogue and just in terms of, like, getting the balance right in terms of... the two schools of thinking when it comes to Christopher Nolan, isn't there? There's the people that say that he is this generation is Stanley Kubrick. He is a cold, emotionless... Mm-hmm. Um, filmmaker. Mm. He's concerned with how things work mechanically, and that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. That's why his films are so technically fantastic, is because that's the part that fascinates him. Less so the people people that are in the films. And then there are the people that are forced to pipe up after that and say, well no there is actually humanity running through a lot of Nolan's films. Mm -hmm. Whether it's again, a kind of technical fascination that he has, or whether he is actually, on some level, human. Yeah, There is like there are moments of the Dark Knight that are very human and that deal with very human things. And I think with Oppenheimer, given that a lot of it is very scientific and about science and there are moments of the film that are quite schematic Mm -hmm. in their presentation, it ends on on an emotional beat for the character. Yes. And there are emotional beats throughout the film that I think do hit more often than not. And considering that he's the only writer or the only credited writer, I think that's quite nice. Especially since we've, we're coming off the back of Tenet, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, there's a line that Matt Damon delivers to Killian Murphy at one point. He's talking about someone else, but he says, oh, he strikes me as the type of person that understands maybe physics better than he understands people. Yeah, That, I think, that fits no Yeah, I don't think he's completely heartless. There are moments in, like, Interstellar, which is, I'd say, his most emotional film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Dark Knight, but we have to remember he wrote that with someone else. Yeah, so that's that has to be considered. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's this generations Kubrick. Um He's the closest to it. I think he mechanical, yes, but I would say the crucial thing about Nolan is that he's more most interested in the concepts, mm. and and they're always very abstract. So it's it's time, space, memory. Yeah, you know he's. He has a scientific mind, I think.
1: Yeah, chaos,
0: order. That, yeah, 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 they're all stuff like that. Yeah, um, they're big things, and like I said, I think he fear, fear. Yeah, I mean, yes, but um, of course, like, and themes tend to be abstract. But I mean, they're the grandest theme. They are. Yeah, they're dealing with perception and and movement through the cosmos, and you know, the yes. big things. He, he's not completely like he's not autistic. No, no. Um, But I don't think he necessarily cares as much about character as he does about concept. Well, that was the big um,
1: observation slash joke or joke slash observation of Tenet, wasn't there? His main character is literally called the protagonist.
0: Well, it was nice because we we talk often about um, the inevitability of a filmmaker's filmography. Mm. Villeneuve is our go-to, you know, where you Sicario, good-looking film, Arrival... Good-looking sci-fi film, yeah, very smart. And then Blade Runner, Dune, you know, yeah. it, it's been a constant inflation in a way, mm. and it's kind of been the same with Nolan, where you know you had um, Memento, low budget, whatever, and so on. The uh, first studio movie, Batman, The Prestige, like really going in on the ideas. The Dark Knight, big action movie, large-scale mm-hmm. action movie. Um, Inception, larger scale original action movie, yeah. Dark Darknet Rises, even larger scale <laughs> yeah. action movie, interstellar space, yeah. you know and it, like it kept inflating, inflating, inflating and Tenor felt like the end point, that felt like the culmination of a lot of what you'd done, original screenplay time, heavily conceptual and the characters the character was called protagonist Yeah, that was, and I'm glad that Oppenheimer in a way, you know, is a development in a lot of ways. He's, he's progressed, but it's kind of a reset as well in a way, where mm. this doesn't. This is not the follow-up to Tenet. No, 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 no. Tenet was the end of something. Yeah. And now this is something else. Okay, so what else is good about it? Killian Murphy is good.
1: Yeah, fantastic He's very performance.
0: good. It, it, like, to-
1: it totally sucks you in. Yes. You know, you, you do... Actually, no. Did you forget it was Killian Murphy at any point? No. Yeah. But is that. I don't think that's Killian Murphy's fault.
0: No, I never. But I I never forget it's Killian Murphy because he plays similar characters a lot of the time. Okay. And he's a very conservative actor.
1: Okay.
0: Even though he did Scarecrow, and that's quite out there, Mm. he tends to play button down, cold, intellectual. That's what he's the quintessential Nolan actor. Mm. He is the. He is. Uh the De Niro to Nolan Scorsese. Removed, cryptic, those icy cold eyes. Yeah. That's Nolan, you know? Um much of the film rests on his haunted visage. Oh yes. And he carries it. He does carry it. Yeah. Uh you never get a proper insight into his mind. I didn't think so anyway. Okay. But there is a line late in the film that suggests maybe that's part of the point. I think Teller says to him, like, who knows what the fuck you think? You
1: know. Yeah, well, the film has an interesting framing device, a very Nolan framing device.
0: Yeah. Um, also, do we need to really explain the plot? Everyone knows what this film is about, right? Yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like, it, yeah, it's basically yeah, it's it's the the biography of, of Oppenheimer, yeah,
0: who invented the atomic bomb. Invented the atomic
1: yeah. bomb. This film does have a plot, but it's it's yeah, it's it's, an, it's sort of nested within this framing yeah. device where you've got two strands kind of running alongside each other. One labeled fission, one labeled fusion. But practically, what that means is some of the film is in color,
2: mm-hmm.
1: some of the film is in black and white. Yeah. The color stuff tends to focus more around Oppenheimer and the development of the atomic bomb, and also his kind of affairs, affairs, um, yeah. and like the trial that he has or that he's made to go through after the atomic bomb is built. Yeah. And then the black and white stuff follows Robert Downey Jr., who plays Robert Strauss, Louis Strauss. Mm-hmm. Stross. Uh, Stross. Yeah. Fuck! <laughs> um, you no, know, he does make a big deal of it. That's the... Like, yeah. 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 Um, the father of the hydrogen
0: bomb? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the guy that invented it, but the guy... No, but like the guy who's instrumental in, yeah, yeah. In, in, in pushing for it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he has been recommended... He's been offered a position in government. Yeah. And he's sort of going through like a, like a, a vetting period. A,
0: yeah, confirmation hearings. The confirmation
1: yeah. hearings. And he's being asked questions about Oppenheimer and Oppenheimer's life and time. And so, yeah, that's... It's kind of social networking, almost, where it's kind of like these trials.
0: Yeah, that was the first thing. When it cuts to Oppenheimer in whatever, it's kind of a trial, but it's more like... A, it looks more like a deposition, where there's no judges, there's no courtroom. Yeah. I did think social network, yeah, where yeah. We're going to be flitting back, and perspectives are important, and, yeah, there's some of that in there. Yeah. Definitely.
1: And no one said that... Um, One sort of asked about it. They said, oh, well, the... the, the the colour stuff is sort of a subjective mm. take on Oppenheimer's life through the eyes of Oppenheimer. Yeah. And then the black and white stuff is a more objective view of the story from the perspective of another character, which I think is basically the words that he used.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I read a bit of the screenplay, and the subjective stuff is written in the first person. With your theory being... My theory being that, like, okay, we can all say, oh, let's to get into it, whatever, whatever. But like I said, because we never really understand his mind... Mm. Uh, it's all well and good saying I did this, I do that, I do. That's movement. You can't yeah. say how the guy feels. But anyway, so my theory is that it's so he didn't have to keep writing Oppenheimer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, like you would, you would try and come up with a yeah, you know, a way around that. Definitely. Yeah,
1: and because car- characters in the film do call him Oppie. Oppie, Yeah, but I don't think as a, would, as
0: a writer you no, wouldn't want to call him Oppie. No one wouldn't do that. No, exactly.
1: Yeah. 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 it's Too personal, especially since, yeah. as you say, if the idea is that we're not really supposed to. Get a clear picture of him. Why be so personal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. even at, even on a level where no audience is going to experience it.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: But that's the thing. There's, there's like, it's not that clean, really. Because no, it's not all of the quote unquote objective stuff with Robert Downey Jr. is not because you find out that his personal biases, yeah, are informing all of his actions and decisions, and he's kind of yeah, like it, well, that it's
0: it kind of comes as a twist. Yeah. So is that the idea? that, oh, objective, subjective. But you'd only know that if you'd listen to Nolan give an interview on it. it the film doesn't present that. No. The film doesn't set up that, right, this is very much Taxi Driver. It's his worldview. Yeah. And this is this is actual concrete reality. Yeah. It's not like that at all. So, yeah, practically, it, you use it as just, oh, that's past, this is now. Or future, like, that's how, how you use it. But then there are some scenes... But yeah, but then... It, contradicts that yeah so you end up thinking okay so it's Killian Murphy Robert Downey Jr and that's functionally what it is yeah um, but so is the idea that the twist is oh we thought this was objective but it's actually subjective it's just from a different point of view well that's going to be my
1: question is there like is, do you think there's a deliberate
0: irony in that, in that presentation to an extent because the film because it doesn't end with the atomic bomb blast which we'll come to yeah it has to end with something a crescendo a climax and that is the twist that Robert Downey Jr. has been kind of orchestrating everything. Yeah. Which, is like in a usual suspect's way, is supposed to kind of taint your impression of the whole film. And the... It doesn't. No. At all, really. Because, I mean, I kind of inferred that. Like, I, do you know what I mean? I kind of knew... Well, yeah, yes, yeah, well, yeah, clearly didn't like opera. Yeah, anymore. I know RDJ's up to no good. Yeah. So, like, uh, yeah. But it's there as a twist. So maybe part of that twist is, oh, I really thought he was telling the truth. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, in
1: the, the subjective stuff with... Oppenheimer does hold some water mm. you've got moments you've got flashes of um, you mean subjective subjective yeah, yeah. yeah sorry um, yeah you've got you've got those random flashes of of like the tension of the universe and like this this yeah. these random flashes of chaos
0: abstract reveries yeah. yeah abstract yeah
1: exactly and then you've got more explicit kind of
0: as it were if you're going to speak about what I think you're going to speak about it depends
1: what you think I'm going to speak about
0: oh Florence Pugh fucking him on the chair
1: oh yeah well that's that's yeah that's pretty explicit but that's weird because that's yeah, not that's Oppenheimer's weird. perspective no, we'll that's the wife's that perspective well. <laughs> um, no more explicit in the sense that it, it, it feels like we're actually being shown what Oppenheimer thinks happened rather than what actually happened yeah in uh, did you notice when Florence Pugh is killed in the bath or, or dies in the bath She kills herself yeah There's, for moments, you see like a a black hand, like a rubber gloved hand. Ah,
0: like like uh, the Men in Black.
1: Yeah, like she was taken out.
0: Okay, that's fair.
1: But it's it's like a flash, and it's not in most of
0: the scenes, so it's almost like Oppenheimer has decided, oh, she was she was killed. I think yes. Okay, there are moments. I think overall, it's a stretch. The whole film is objective. Mm. It really is. Like other than those random, like you said, the the kind of the particles clashing. Yeah colliding I think because that's the thing I don't even think that's
1: a, that's to support the subjective objective thing I think part of that is just to maintain the momentum of the film
0: yeah but also if we're, if we're in his head if he's the guy then we're going to see what he is seeing his hallucinations you know his yeah. kind of intellectual seeing beyond normality like LSD sort of thing
1: yeah um, hearing the music hearing as, the music the yeah
0: yeah the problem with that is I still by the end you never really feel like you know the guy mm. and there are some lines throughout the film that kind of it's that Nolan thing of dual meaning that, that it describes a scientific process but it also applies to the characters so it talks about oh it's paradoxical but it works yeah. um, you know yeah the idea is like what is he he's kind of a contradiction Problem is with Travis Bickle even though there's some enigma and some mystery to him when you're in his head you know what he's thinking mm. you know that he thinks the black guys over there are intimidating yeah you know that he's like zeroing in on this thing you know he's obsessing over this thing you don't with Oppenheimer mm. the whole film really is shot quite objectively yeah So I think on that level, it doesn't work. I mean, the black and white thing and the colour thing is fine because Mm. it delineates two periods of time. Mm. But as for the objective, subjective thing, I don't think that holds much water. Okay, personally. Okay. Yeah, the abstract for stuff, they were fine for the most part, but it did push it too far with Florence Pugh riding him during his trial. Because, because, yeah, it's Emily Blunt seeing it. It's Emily Blunt seeing it,
1: and they had a moment just before she's riding him that I think was... Fine, it was perfect. He felt he feels naked in front of them. Yeah, they're probing into yeah, his past it, it and his history. It pans around Jason Clark. Clark. Yeah. Yeah, and suddenly he's not wearing any clothes anymore. Yeah, which is the same visual that they use later on when he's in the room with in the hotel room with Florence Pugh. Yeah, and it's like they're being vulnerable. They're naked because they're vulnerable around each other. Yes,
0: that's perfectly fine. It's also inconsistent. It's it, it's too generally speaking, it's too grounded in its presentation that when those things happen, they're fine. But they don't quite fit into the into the universe. Well, of the, that planet. certainly doesn't. Like The bomb stuff, when he starts
1: hallucinating both at... Um, yeah. What's it called? La Is that the
0: name of the town? Los Alamos.
1: Los Alamos. Yeah, yeah. At Los Alamos, when he's giving the speech and he starts hallucinating about the bomb. Yeah, yeah. And then again in the hearing, when he's being put under pressure. The white light. And, and yes. he's hallucinating yes. the white light and the bomb. That makes sense, because that's the trauma that he's carrying with him. It
0: makes sense after, yes. Yeah. Leading up to it. And him seeing, that's fine. I don't know, it just felt a bit like slightly stylistically clashing, but only a little bit. Okay. I am quibbling. I'll explain why <laughs> I'm kind of complaining if you if that's what you want to call it, critiquing as much as I am okay. by the end. But yes. Yeah, so back to Killian Murphy and not getting a proper insight into Oppenheimer's mind. It does beg the question why it needed to be a three hour film. Mm. Cause it's not necessarily a penetrating biopic. It's a thorough one. Yeah. And that's the difference. There's a lot of him. But you don't really get to know him. Mm. It's I know next to nothing about the life of Oppenheimer, right? Mm. Um, but it feels like it gets all the facts, all the stuff in there. Yeah, the important stuff. It's the comprehensive Oppenheimer film. Yeah, it's not the one that you watch to get to really know the guy. No, it gets all the details, the times that you know, in a Nolan way. It it's gets
1: it's the, the it's the Oppenheimer. It's the resource. It's the definitive resource for when you're researching Oppenheimer.
0: Yes. It's it gets all the facts straight. Yeah, Downey Jr. is pretty good. He escapes, escapes his shtick, escapes. Um, Yeah, he felt different from like he does um, does like even outside of the Iron Man stuff. I'm thinking of
1: the stuff he was doing before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like a different. He's doing something different. Of I mean, Iron
0: Man. That's the thing. People think, oh, Tony Stark. It's that he was doing that way before Iron Man. Iron Man is like that because Robert Downey Jr. is like yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's not quite the Oscar nomination clincher in my opinion in the way that it's been talked about Danny junior yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay but he's better than usual yeah Kill, Killie, Killie he's murphy. better than Doolittle. well yes <laughs> killian <laughs> murphy is i would say guaranteed a nomination not a win necessarily be, uh, shocked if he doesn't get a nomination yeah yeah the other highlights for me in the immense cast are david crumholtz who plays is rabbi his jewish friend kind of with him throughout most of the film oh the guy yeah. he meets on the train yes uh, yeah uh,
1: cliff of the big round Jew, as i've ended up calling him oh right why I, well because like he's there's a point that i'm going to make about oppenheimer where i kind of use him as an example okay and i couldn't remember his name so i had to give him a name
0: okay his name is david crumholtz okay i liked him not
1: cliff the big Round jew no okay definitely
0: not uh josh Hartnett, i thought was good because i haven't seen him in a long time and it's like mm oh no, what's this going to be like? I it was fine. Um, yeah, Jason Clark was, was good. Yeah. Matt Damon was very good. Mm. And Gary Oldman was very good. Yeah, not enough Gary Oldman. No, and Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt are in it as much as they need to be, really. Yeah. But for actors of their talent, it does feel like a bit of a waste. I suppose. It Like, they're they really good. Mm. And they're really not in it that much. I think Blunt might get an Oscar nomination because it's the kind of role that gets an Oscar nomination. Yeah, But still. Um, oh, uh, yeah, she'll get...
1: She had a nomination and they'll play her deposition scene.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what they'll do. A lot of returning faces for Nolan, uh, his entourage. No, Michael Caine. Sans Michael Caine. Yeah, gets.
1: interesting. I didn't even think of that until now. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I was worried that would be cheesy or distracting because it can be sometimes. It's like Brana as Niels Bohr, Tom Conti as Einstein, particularly.
2: Yeah.
0: But it quite worked, I think. Mm. Especially Oldman. Well, I knew he was playing Truman. I'm turned up it was like, oh god, it's 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 because he's worked with Gary Oldman and it, yeah, but he's doing something different. He is like as Truman, it feels different, mm. like not just his manner and mode of speaking, but when Oppenheimer says, "I've got blood on my hands," the way he kind of like waves a tissue at him, <laughs> yeah, like a hanky yeah. yeah, like ooh, there you go, then, like yeah. mockingly. Um, Don't let that crybaby back you. Yeah, he's great. It's one of the most the most scored films I've seen in a long time. Yeah, is it too much? Yeah um oh oh, okay i'm glad we've had that discussion (laughs) well in many ways the film is a symphony right and they you know hear the music all that kind of thing but the central problem is that it fails to achieve a satisfying ebb and flow Mm. the constant undercurrent means you never really relax into proceedings now which may be the point definitely within the first hour yeah i don't know how much that is intentional the
1: first the first hour almost feels like trailer editing where yes. it's like yes.
0: here's the the like the crux of a scene. Mm. Now we're on to the next scene. Right. And no one does do that, but it tends to be between the set pieces, between the, the yeah. longer scenes. It's like, oh, filling information bits. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, there's there's no set
0: piece. Basically it's there's a one. Bomb. Yeah, there's yeah. one, and that's it. That's really it. Yeah. Yeah. So it might be the point that you never relax into it, but it's a lot to ask for three hours. Yeah. I didn't have an issue with the mixing, as some people I've had. Mm. I feel I understood everything being said, but on the rewatch, subtitles definitely improve the experience. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It's more a not emotional but attentional pacing problem, I would say. So the film is an event, mm. right? It's almost as though having a moment to breathe is failing to stand on ceremony. Yeah. And the more I think about it, its relentlessness is probably self conscious. The whole marketing angle was the countdown, like going towards it, going towards it. There's no time to waste smelling the roses, but I would have liked some time to smell the roses. And I thought I never really got to, like, settle into it properly. And again, they would say, well, that's the point. It's all building towards this massive event. But, okay, so when the countdown hits zero, yeah, another problem is created beyond the inception of a whole new category of destruction. Yeah. The dramatic climax happens around two-thirds of the way into the film. Well, it doesn't? No, it does. No, because the
1: Robert Downey Jr.
0: Yes, but... It, well, okay. the,
1: the Rami Malek deposition
0: right. is the climax of the film. The actual one, yes. Yeah. But the true dramatic climax happens 2 The most exciting dramatic climax. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, would,
1: I wouldn't... I think it's... The dramatic climax that I got a problem with. Okay, because the drama culminates yeah, yeah. It, do, it does objectively culminate with Rami Malek. No, no, the ob-
0: yeah yeah objectively cl- it
1: does. yeah. Just the climax
0: is okay. Gone. Let me re- let me rephrase the yes the, the 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 climax the film is going for happens toward the end. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but the, the what should be the dramatic climax what you will take away from the film yeah, yeah. Happens and what I would this. argue should be the dramatic climax yes. happens two thirds the winter the film. Yeah, it's not It's not that there's...
1: Especially given that final line.
0: Yes, it's yeah. not there's, that there's an hour left and nothing happens. No, it, it does still build to an end. Yeah. But yeah, it happens around two thirds of the way into the film as opposed to, say, ten minutes before the end. The film runs along those two lines, like you said, and there's a lot of fusion to go after the bomb yeah. blows up. And as much as I like films about people in rooms talking intelligently, it's just nowhere near as captivating as the atomic bomb blast. The fucking heart rate. During that bomb sequence. Like, just the building yeah. up to it. Yeah. The detonation is is awesome. Yeah. It's, like, worth it. Yeah. You know, like, for all, all the films taken down to that moment, it's worth it. My heart was pounding. It's spectacular. And the film gets explosions right. Oh, yeah. Which is, like... It, that's the one thing it needed to do right. <laughs>
1: Definitely, yeah. It, like, it gets them right, but it also... It finds a
0: way to balance making it look cinematic and sort of portraying it in a way that... The sound design is bad. It's weird. For all the complaints of the sound design, it really works in that scene. Yeah. Where there's no sound. It's just a... Yeah, you just hear them breathing. That's it. Yeah. Um, so, consequently, because of that timing, structural problem, mm. my conclusion is this would have worked best as a Chernobyl-like miniseries. But wouldn't it
1: have been the same problem where the bomb would have gone off in episode four and was like, what, well, we've
0: got two episodes to go? Well, I would say five episodes. Well, not necessarily. I mean it dep- again, you you restructure the whole thing. You mm. can do it so they could have done it in this where they happen kind of side by side. Yeah. I know there's a lot of stuff to go um after the war and everything. Well, it's but- it's
1: it's because as you say, um mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of the trial and deposition stuff after the bomb. Yeah. And that's because at some point at the beginning of the film everything is is kind of happening it's alongside it's, it, itself. Mhm fairly comfortably yeah like there's enough we spend enough time with Oppenheimer we spend enough time at the deposition we spend enough time with the bomb we spend enough time with Robert Downey Jr mm-hmm. and then at some point it just becomes about the bomb that's the problem they forget about the trial stuff and yeah. then they kind of do all of that oh after. no sorry not
0: the bomb yeah no yeah that it's the problem oh we're so invested now we don't want to cut away from the bomb but yeah. then the problem is you're left with the more boring bit the, it's not boring, but it's more boring. Well, and for the-
1: yeah, I don't think the problem is that it's boring. I think that it's it's less clear. It's less clear. It's less clear where it's going. Yeah, if what's, you, if you we know anything for? about Oppenheimer, there's two things that anyone knows about Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. if they know Oppenheimer, and that is I Am Become Death of the Story yeah. of Worlds and that he built the atomic bomb. Yes. So when we're on the bit of the film that's about the atomic bomb, we don't need it explained to us. Right. We know where this is going. Mm-hmm. We know kind of what to expect. We know the danger. We know the thrust. We know everything, really. Yeah. But the trial and deposition stuff, I, by design, is kind of cloaked in ambiguity. Yeah. So when the film just becomes about that, you end up ha- you end up going, okay, I, I suddenly don't know what to care about and but what I'm supposed to think.
0: Right. So it's all that is about him whether he gets his security clearance renewed. Right. Mm. Okay. Whether, because. They can't
1: martyr him by giving him a trial, so they're kind of taking yeah. away his only the only they're, power they can. They're out.
0: cutting him out of the conversation about the hydrogen bomb. Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. But the fact the stakes are if Nazis build a bomb first, it's all over, right? Yeah. So we need to build it first. He says, like, I don't know that we'll be responsible, but I know that they won't. Yeah. So that's it's a racing against the clock to build the bomb, sees it, oh my god, what the fuck have I done? Is this necessary? Who knows? Philosophical implications. Mm. Big stuff. Who gives a shit about whether he gets a security clearance renewed? I'm not saying it's like completely uninteresting, mm. but it's not, you don't follow up the atomic bomb stuff with that. The stakes are, couldn't be higher. Matt Damon says the most fucking important thing to ever fucking happen. Yeah. Whether he gets a security clearance renewed isn't. And if you're doing a biopic, it should be in there. Don't get me wrong. But you, then you either marshal it so that, like you said, it's a lot more balanced toward yeah. the end of the film. Or, like, with the Chernobyl thing. Um, look, the most exciting thing of Chernobyl happens in the first episode. Yeah, That's, you know... The final episode is... What was there a cover-up? Like, what happened here? Yeah. I, I, is he going to tell the world the truth? And it works because it's television. And mm. you get a break, and then you see... You know, and you thematically pay off a lot of stuff. You can do that with this. It doesn't have to end with a bomb. But if I was doing a film... Yeah. I would cut... Basically cut the post-war years... For a film about the creation of the atomic bomb. The thing is...
1: While I don't deny that this is a film of two parts... Mm-hmm. And the bomb definitively draws one of those parts to a close... Yes, like... On a practical level... The thing that we're being asked to invest in is... Does Oppenheimer get a security clearance? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, no, it, actually it's not that. It's, it's is he a traitor? Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That's really the how they frame yeah, yeah, the yeah, deposition. Yeah. Is, yes. Are you actually a communist... Did you give away state secrets? Right. Are you going to jail? Basically, yeah. And then to the side of that is, do you get your security clearance mm-hmm. back? But really, it's not like it's not about like what that what it's actually doing is it's showing that Oppenheimer is kind of allowing himself to be dragged through the mud because of the guilt of building the bomb. Well, because Emily Blunt yeah. is constantly like, "Why don't you fight?" And he's just and he just he doesn't. Yeah. And well, at, I, at the end, she's like, "Do you really think that?" Letting them tar and feather you like this is going to, will will make people forgive you. Yeah. So it does.
0: It does follow it up. Thematically, it is a follow up. No. Yeah. No. I know that. Don't get me. It's just. Are you gonna rewatch it? Yeah. Probably. Are you gonna rewatch it after the atomic bomb blast? Yes. Okay. I don't know that I would. And again, I love people in rooms talking. Yeah. It's just again. I don't want to sound like a Luddite. Like oh, it's just it's boring. Is <laughs>
1: I'll I'll confess that I would watch it past the bomb sequence to see if... Okay, okay. To see if it does hold up. If it does hold up. Yeah. More so than, oh, the most exciting part of the film hasn't just happened, I'm going to keep going
0: with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone would argue that that's the most exciting best part of the film. Yeah. I'm not saying you don't deal with any of the aftermath. You have to deal with the aftermath. It's not bomb blows up, cut to black. You deal with the implications of it. Mm. Some of the... So what I personally would have done, just off the top of my head, yeah, you have the bomb blast, you have the victory speech where like he starts hallucinating, the burning flesh and the corpses and mm. people are throwing up outside. He meets the president. The president calls him a crybaby. Mm-hmm. That's and then you can kind of draw into a close, basically. And I like the thing because again, in a larger sense, about him whether he's a traitor or not. It's about reputation and legacy. Like, what will this man's legacy be? Yeah. Reputational management. Like, And Einstein says to him when we, you know, one of their conversations at the lake, at the pond, he says to him, um, when this is all done, they'll give you medals, they'll give you this, but it won't be for you, it'll be for them, and all that Mm. kind of stuff. You can deal with that stuff. There's just too much of it after the most exciting bit of the film. Yeah. I'll tell
1: you what I do like, though, just to mention that scene... For a moment. The the one where like he sees the burning flesh and the way right, the, right, the right. bomb went the yeah, crowd yeah. and everything. Apart from that, one there's two explicit moments. There's obviously there's a moment where the sound drops out mm-hmm. and you hear that scream for a moment. There's the moment where you see the, the woman's flesh burn away. Yeah. And he stands like yeah, he, his foot goes body, through like yeah. a body. Other than that, mm. all of the other visuals we see that are supposed to be like incongruous and kind of horrible. Mm-hmm could actually be happening.
0: Well, I, that, yeah, that was unclear to me. The guy throwing up, I took that to be real.
1: Well, that's what I like about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Because you see a woman crying in the crowd, and yeah, it's like, yeah. well, okay, a woman could realistically be crying, yeah. because she's realised, like, the gravity of what they've done. You've got a couple making out under the bleachers, mm. which I took to mean, like... Are they making out, or was he comforting her? Oh, I thought they were making out. Oh, my, okay. my instinct was, you know, that kind of thing, like, oh, in a burning plane... Some people say, like, oh, you know, if you're, if you're in a crashing mm. plane, you just want to grab the nearest person. So okay. Just, fuck. Because <laughs> it's your last chance. Um, I thought it was, like, that kind of
0: instinct. It's like, oh, the world's ending. Let's just get it out of our system. I mean, my memory... But it could of- just be because it's a party, you know? My memory of that is... Uh- that a woman was crying and a guy was comforting her. Okay, I so thought they were making out. We could be, yeah. Well, George, what does that say, mate? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what is the truth of that. And also,
1: yeah, as you say, the guy vomiting outside, again, it Yeah, could just because they're celebrating and they had too much booze.
0: It could be. I, I took it, my interpretation is that, obviously, the out there stuff is a hallucination, but the stuff, like, the woman crying and the guy throwing up is real, but only he's noticing it. Yeah. They're, like, the cracks in the... Exactly, you know. yeah. Um... So, like we said, the, the distinction between fish and the fusion is the idea one is subjective, one is objective. Uh, but another issue with the pace and the unrelenting score is the film always remains objective about the fact that this man is on a tram line to the atomic bomb, mm. to profound infamy and profound achievement. He doesn't know that, but the film always does. Yeah, That's a problem, especially if you're saying that we're in his head. Yeah. And it said, okay, like, I feel like I'm meant for greatness or whatever. But that's usually a problem with biopics. Mm. It's like everyone kind of knows that this person's going to go on to be, you know, Ray Charles or President Lincoln or whatever. And he doesn't know that. But the whole film knows it. Mm. You know? So it's harder to argue the subjective objective case. This is a good film. Yes. Right? Yes. I am just explaining why I think it's not a masterpiece. Okay. A lot of people have called it a masterpiece. It's not a masterpiece. Mm. It's a good film. It's a very good film with elements of greatness about it. Mm. But it's not a masterpiece. But it's a lot easier to enjoy when you don't need to pee. <laughs> <laughs> that, I said my final takeaway.
1: I'm, I'm glad that uh, you and I have had the same experience in the cinema now, which yeah. is we've both needed to pee an hour into a three-hour Nolan film. Yes. And I've just stuck it out. Yeah. Despite <laughs> all... The sign saying we shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, Well yeah. that's the thing, like I for was... all of for all of your complaints about like the um uh, the deposition stuff being less interesting
0: than the bomb, mm. you state. But not because it was holding my attention. I could barely pay attention. That was I had to focus on my bladder not <laughs> right. It was more just get through it. Like yeah. you've gotta talk about this afterwards, get through it. Okay. Um yeah, the, the rewatch was much more for the deposition. It was like, okay, right, like, what happened? Like what was going yeah. on? Yeah. Um there there were points, and like I said, because I watched it at home and I could stop it and I had subtitles. It was a lot more relaxing experience. Mm. But when I was watching it in the cinema, because of that, there were points where I kind of fell off the wagon. Casey yeah. Affleck to me is the big, his little sequence. Mm-hmm. That was like, oh, I'm still, you're losing me. I'm starting to get, I'm starting to lose interest now.
1: There were definitely moments where, yeah, you just kind of find yourself adrift. In everything that's happening, because there's so much, there's a happening. lot.
0: There's a that's what I mean. It's a thorough biopic. There's yeah. a lot to a lot of information. It would
1: be it would be optimistic to say that I probably picked up like half of what was happening. Yeah, across the entire film. Oh,
0: names! Like there's a bit at the end where they talk about the fallout, as it were, mm. afterwards, and you know, like oh, this happened to Oppenheimer. This happened to this scientist. This happened to that scientist. I'm like
1: who? Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, that guy. I get yeah yeah. Well, this is where
1: Clifford the Big Brown Jew comes in. Sure. Uh, Because this is the example I was going to give, is like just outside of just like the amount of shit being thrown at you. Mm. He meets him, befriends him on the train, and then he's like, There's this German that you've got to seek out. And he's like, Ah, yes, Heisenberg, I know. Yeah. They go to a Heisenberg lecture. They shake hands with Heisenberg. Heisenberg finds out that Oppenheimer has published a paper that's based on his findings. And he's like, Oh, we should publish together. Yeah. And Oppenheimer's like, No, I must go back to America. Yes. And they never meet again. He's, he's invoked again,
0: but they never meet he's again. He's invoked again, yeah, but they yeah. never meet again. No, they never meet and again. And it's like, all right, was that important? It's because it's in the book, you know? American yeah. Prometheus is the book. American Prometheus is yeah. uh, based on. Um I, I don't... I no, I know mean, like, it, that. it, that's what I mean. Like, because he wanted to get it right. Mm. And I commend that. Like, all the scientists, you feel... You feel like they're all represented. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's only one composite character or one, you know, fictitious character. And that's Alden Ehrenreich, you know, the... Um, Robert Downey Jr.'s aide that kind of is with him and then turns on him, you know. He's kind of meant to be the audience. But everyone else is, you know, real teller and Fermi and all the scientists. And it's like, I get it. And especially because they're all like, I've heard the names of these scientists and I don't know much about them. So that you want to put them in the film. But you could have done some condensation. Yeah. You know, like give us four or five and I'll get it that it's a massive fucking, uh, you know, operation. It's brothers in it. Like, do you even remember that much? You know, his brother's in it. He's dating a girl he doesn't really like. And then he marries and he's like, okay. And he wants him to come to Los Alamos and he doesn't come. And then he does. And like, eh. it's because Oppenheimer had a brother. Yeah. So they had to put it in, but it's, it's not relevant. Mm. It's, it's to be thorough. Yeah. And I, I get it. Even though the film pulses with that detached intellect that Nolan brings to bear on projects. Pulses with detachment. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, a focus on concept as opposed to characters, like you've said. The dialogue is an improvement over a lot of what he's done. Um, it's very well written. Mm. Although the characters do talk a lot of the time like they're vehicles for biographical exposition. Like they're aware they're in a biopic. So, like Emily Blunt, when she meets him, she tells him about her husband and, like, and he's like, oh, I'm going to invite him to Los Alamos, you, you both of you. She's like, Yeah, because you know it doesn't make a difference. Then she has him riding a horse. And she gets off, and literally, it's great. It's almost like you can hear the writer discounting it as important information. He goes to her, she you been married before, twice. And he says, who? He says, oh, the first one it, uh, doesn't matter, but the second one
1: <laughs> <Yes>. was uh, <laughs> this
0: guy, and then blah, blah. It's like they know, kind of. The, it's hard to explain, yeah. but it's like getting the bullet points of a life kind of in there. But it's very good. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. But, I, um, I I
1: wouldn't want to discourage anyone from going to no. see it. Oh, I'm, no, I'm no.
0: glad it's done as well. It's nearly... Gross, nearly a billion. Yeah, not as much as Barbie.
1: Is uh, are, we, are we ready, ready to do Barbie? Barbie? Are we ready for Barbie? I've actually been really looking forward to this Barbie review.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why? What do you think is going to
1: happen? I think you're going to be
0: fun on this one. <laughs> well, you wanted to watch it with me, didn't you? I did. I, I understand really now. To. I understand that. Now. Yeah, <laughs> I watched it today. Okay, so it's yeah, but fresh. I wasn't there. So no, no, no. <laughs> it's fresh, you know. Okay, explain Barbie.
1: No, no. No, no, no. <laughs> I have got to it all, This right? is your treat to me. You explain oh.
0: Barbie. Do you have an opinion on Barbie? Yeah, I have opinions. Okay, but we're going to wait. I think I have opinions. Yeah. This is part of the problem, but go on. All right, well, okay. Barbie, Barbie is set in Barbie land, where yes. all the Barbies live. Yes. And Barbie's women run everything. Um, President, Nobel Prize winners, the Kens are just kind of there. And they do their thing, and they pine after the Barbies, and that's the dynamic. Yeah. And then one day, stereotypical Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, mm. wakes up and starts having existential thoughts about death. Mm. And then the next day, she kind of like something's off, and she she's flat-footed all of a sudden, and all that kind of stuff. And then she meets a guru, lesbian, weird Barbie, <laughs> who tells her that. Um,
1: I don't think they ever make a point of her being lesbian. No, she's you, not. You've, you've
0: added that. Not me. Everyone has added that. Okay. Um, and that's clearly what I would say what it's meant, because Kate McKinnon's a lesbian. Right. Um, there's a relationship between the real world and Barbies where the girls that play with them, when they develop anxieties or develop problems, it, it kind of infects the Barbies. So she says, you need to like go heal your kid. Hmm. So Barbie has to leave Barbie Land and go to the real world. Ken tags along for the ride. Hmm. Um, When they get there, uh, Ken sees that the real world is in fact a patriarchy, and he takes that... What? You already look so bitter. (laughs) (laughs) And he takes those lessons um, back into Barbie land where he and the other Kens kind of overthrow the Barbie matriarchy and install their own government, kind of. Uh, And then Barbie has to go back there with the girl that played with her and her daughter Hmm. to reinstate the utopian vision. Hmm. That's the plot. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. The production design is tip-top. It's, 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 yeah,
1: they've really nailed the aesthetic of Barbie, just in general, really. Yes. Because the whole thing, like, Barbie Land, it is based after the play sets. There's no real... And so that's... uh, there's no desire to kind of make Barbie Land feel like a real place. It is just one big playset, isn't yeah, it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't call it innovative because, yes, they obviously are just basing it on the playset. Yeah. But it does look good. Yeah. It's colorful and spunky and A eh, and. Eh. Yeah. Anything else good? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> what? Yeah, give it some credit. Dude, I went into this with an open mind because the world, you, my other friend who liked it, was telling me that I was going to hate it. Yeah. And I wanted to prove you wrong. Okay. But I couldn't. (laughs) And hate might be a strong word because I don't feel... I'm sorry, George. I don't feel that angry about a lot of it. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll see how it (laughs) goes. We'll see how it goes. Because
1: if there's anything that I've learned like reviewing those Sonic films is you can start out calm (laughs) but you will get angrier
0: as you go. Okay. So from the off, its intentions are quite clear. Okay. It's too discursive. That's the first problem. So... Helen Mirren narrates it hmm. and she explains how, you know, it's the 2001 Space Odyssey opening where the girls are playing with, like, old-fashioned dolls. Then Barbie comes along and it revolutionizes dolls. And she says, oh, girls, what you know, they would play all day and they they play mother. But that had its limits. Limits. Ask your mother. So that's the first thing. Like, okay. right. It's kind of, it's really talking to the audience through, the, like, past the film. Yeah. The words feminism and equal rights pop up within the first three and a half minutes. Okay. It will go over a lot of kids' heads. Yeah, this isn't really a film for... It's not inappropriate for kids. Some of it is, but yeah. um, Mostly it's just, yeah, over their heads. Yeah. The ones that aren't getting the preparatory PowerPoint presentations and follow-up classes from their millennial mums. But it struck me as the equivalent of adult-leaning jokes in films like Shrek. It's not like when he says the donkey uh, maybe he's compensating for something. You know, that kind of thing. We've, but we've gone from a ha-ha, nudge-nudge-wink to ideology. <laughs> right, okay. Um, it's not for kids. The film is not for kids. No. They will like the colours, they will like the dance sequences, yeah. they will like some of the jokes, yeah. but it's not for kids. They will not understand the story, No. what the implications of the story are, um, well, all the w- themes.
1: They won't understand the specifics of it. No. But like, oh, Ken's evil now, he's
0: taking over the kingdom. But kind of. They'll understand They him. won't know why. They they won't understand like I said the implications of it. They won't know the themes. No, but they'll kind of understand it they'll, they'll, in, the, in the most basic sense. Yes, like, in the most basic sense. He's so a bad guy. He's got to be stopped. Yes. Yeah. So they will not. They will enjoy the look of it. Yeah. And the singing and the funny stuff. It's a tamer version of "Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared," where it looks like it's for kids. Yeah, but it's not. Mm. Uh, there are some good jokes. Uh, her feet. That's a good joke. <laughs> um,
1: I, did, I Yeah, I, I will say that about the film. That mm-hmm. I did laugh, genuinely laugh, like a couple
0: of times. Oh, I didn't laugh at all. Oh, did you not laugh at all? No, I didn't laugh at all. But I did think they were, they were some good jokes. Okay,
1: I, I particularly enjoyed uh, the wall joke. I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Trump.
0: Yeah, well, of course it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, no, that was, was a good a, joke. Yeah, just
1: like, oh, you know, I just have... <laughs> I <laughs> need to get out before they figure out how to build it sideways. Yes, no, <laughs> that's building good. this wall. It's like because it does have those moments where it's just like this out there. Like, it's stupid. What? It's silly. Yeah. yeah, no,
0: it 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 does have funny moments. The shower thought that was funny. Yeah, no water comes out. Um, some nice cinematic nods, and we got Jaws, Space Odyssey, and like they're they're on the level of like oh, the adults will get that, like the Matrix stuff in Shrek, and mm. when it starts about Proust and everything, you're like oh fuck off. But okay. that's okay. The rules of the universe. Are we
1: here already? We're here already. Okay, because this is a bugbear of mine as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's suggested early on that they are being manipulated physically, right? Yeah. So you put them wherever you want. So she's just glides from her roof to her car because that's where the kid has put her. Yes. That's what Helen Mirren says. Yes. Like, um, you, you know you can be moved wherever they want you to, and then she yeah. just goes ah oh, to a car. What happens if a kid throws a Barbie in a tantrum at a window? This is the beginning. <laughs> this is the beginning of what we'll talk about. This here. is scene one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no. I,
1: I think its problems go way beyond that.
0: Yeah, but that's that gets the ball rolling. Yeah, it's, like, it's not the kind of question. Is,
1: is the idea that yeah, the Barbies are because they're not
0: inhabiting the same space as the children. They or, or nor are they inhabiting a space. We never understand what they're inhabiting because. Someone tries to ask the question and yeah. they're rudely cut off. Yeah, and you don't find out.
1: I'm gonna bring up the Lego movie, mm. perhaps more than once.
0: It's the obvious corollary, yeah. It's the obvious, absolutely. Comparison.
1: I mean, it remains, yeah. Not just because it's like a toy product film mm. where the goal is ultimately to like sell you the yes, sh- the thing. But the Lego movie has incredibly simple rules that it never breaks other than one moment which you forgive because it's supposed to be... You're allowed to break one rule. Yeah, and it's supposed to be this magical kind of like, the char- it's the character's big moment. Yes. I don't know what the rules of Barbie are, but I know it's not following them. But there aren't any. Yeah.
0: This is, there really aren't any. The so...
1: rules of the Lego movie are this. The entire thing, every character, every location, mm-hmm. every location physically exists. In the child's basement. Yes. And every character occupies... One child. One child. And every character that exists within that space is in the child's imagination. They're being. Yes. Uh, their words and their actions, everything is being motivated by the child. Yes. Once you're kind of outside of that, you cease to. Nothing exists. Nothing exists. Yeah. 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 LEGO Movie 2 does break those rules a little bit, but that's the LEGO Movie 2. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, Barbie Land is not a physical space in reality. It is or is it? No, the film shows it as a as this kind of like overlay. No, it's not even an overlay. It kind of exists in tandem with reality. Like you've got Barbie Land over here on the left and you've yeah. got reality over here on yeah. the right. So they kind of exist alongside each other in, like, pocket dimensions or portal? There's other a, dimensions. Or there's a portal you have to take between them or whatever. There's, yeah,
0: there's a portal, yeah.
1: But yeah, when a child is, like, moving the Barbie, it's not as if they're moving the Barbie through Barbie Land. They're moving the Barbie through their own house. Yeah. So is the Barbie matching those movements?
0: Right. In a different space,
1: but in this space? Or... Yes.
0: Is it one child? Is it multiple children? She's stereotypical Barbie, yeah. Robbie, but is she the only stereotypical is Barbie? Is she the... Oh, is it only one
1: child playing with her? Or are her actions motivated by, like, yes. a conglomeration? Is, is
0: she the collective play of, of girls? Of, of, of every everyone? child that owns a version yeah, yeah, of her? Yeah, yeah, Well, no. The film answers that. No. Yeah. But then it begs the question, is this the only Barbie land? It is. We can infer that. It's yeah. only the one Barbie land. So there's only one stereotypical Barbie. But that... Surely that implies that there have to be loads of stereotypical Barbies. Yeah. Otherwise, how is she stereotypical? Exactly. The only thing, anything stereotypical, is that it's a type. Is there
1: someone playing with Ken? Is there a really yeah. misogynist guy playing with Ken? Right. Okay, so that
0: those kinds of questions, okay? Yeah. They don't have answers. No. Right. They're not the kind of questions one should be asking. But if you're not going into it invested in the message, the inferred message already, mm. the medium has to make sense. When Barbie brings the woman
1: that is playing with her... Back to Barbie Land. Yeah. Is someone playing with that woman?
0: Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> it really, um, like The further you go into the film, the less sense but it that, makes. But that's the thing. Yes. None of that makes sense. like the, the interaction between real world and Barbie Land. Mm. But also, and this is a problem because we'll get to it, okay? Okay. Um, the parameters of their knowledge also make no fucking sense. No. So they know about death. Yeah. They're aware of that. Because when she brings it up, they're shocked. Yeah. It's not like what's that, you know? She says something along the lines of "I'm stereotypical, so I don't form conjecture along causal lines." We're supposed to go, <laughs> "Barbie likes talking like yeah, you know, she's talking yeah. like that." She knows about context, but that's the problem. It's funny because Barbie wouldn't talk like that. Yeah, she doesn't know what those things are exactly, but she does know what those things are because she just said it. Yeah, but that's I mean. Yeah, she she knows what that is. Yeah, she knows what context is. Yeah, she knows about genitalia. Yes, um, she knows- and that it, and that it it matters that she lacks it. Yeah, because when she goes to the real world, she tells him, I don't have a vagina, he doesn't have a penis. So she knows what those things are. And she knows that in
1: the real world,
0: people do have those things.
1: things. And that it's an important distinction to
0: make. Yes. So she knows about sex. She knows about fascism. Yes. The the, the definition of fascism that no one knows, by the way. Everyone thinks fascism, they think Hitler. Yeah. She's going with Mussolini fascism. Yeah. Trains and all that kind of thing. Which is funny. It's funny.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. What's funny about it is that she's wrong. Because in Barbie land, Barbies yeah. do control the flow of commerce and the railways yes. and everything. In Barbie, they
0: run everything. Yeah. In fact, the Kens aren't even... Like, when they overthrow it, why do they have to... Like, they're writing a new code of constitution for the government or whatever. Yeah. Why? Dicta- they've overthrown the dictators. <laughs> why do they need a code? Anyway, she knows about fashion, but she's unfamiliar with the idea of being self-conscious. Yes. Because when she leaves, she's like, I'm, like, conscious, but, like, about myself? Yeah. Right. Um, it is one of the most having it's cake and eating it films that I've ever seen yes. in my life Yeah, it doesn't care about the rules uh, the boardroom scene where the guy's like so is it like a parallel dimension they go yeah, like, yeah. and he offers two alternatives they go yeah whatever
2: yeah.
0: it doesn't care about coherence the film is just a vehicle for ideology and it's so incoherent on a story level hmm. that it becomes propaganda so yeah okay the fact that like hang on so is someone playing with them? okay whatever fine ignoring that Mm. even what it's trying to say with its ideology doesn't make sense because the whole point is when the barbies have to uh reclaim barbie land from the kens Mm. they say oh we have to you know reinstate our autonomy they never had autonomy did they they're being played with they don't have autonomy well yeah so what do you know what (laughs) i mean even (laughs) what it's trying to do it makes no fucking sense no I think they came up with some ideas about, oh, it's about the patriarchy and the patriarchy will infect Barbie land. Mm. That's the jumping off point. Yeah. But then when they actually start establishing the mythology, it is a constant contradiction. So there is, it's a matriarchy. The Ken's are second class citizens Mm. and the film should have driven to the point of equality. Yeah. We share everything, Right. It doesn't do that.
1: No, that's the thing. I think it does. I think it thinks it does. No, it
0: doesn't. No, no. It thinks it does. No, it gestures towards it with a snarkiness. Yeah. It says, oh, no, you can't be like on the Supreme Court, but you can be like a lower... This is
1: what... Yeah, this is what I found.
0: So, yeah, because she goes to uh, California Mm -hmm. and immediately
1: is bombarded with... Um, give us a, give a smile yeah yeah. And all that, yeah yeah. tall glass of fucking whatever yeah, yeah. all that kind of shit she, goes, she sees some builders and she's like ah yes we need some feminine wisdom because yeah. obviously she's naive and yes. Barbie land or whatever goes over to the builders they do the whole thing it's like oh you're mm-hmm. fucking hot yeah, yeah. I wanna fuck you mm-hmm. and then she's immediately like I get the sense that you're like flirting with me well mm-hmm. you can't have me because I don't have a vagina yes. and the sexist builders the the builders that the film yeah has demonized yeah and written off a of sexist pics. He just goes, "That's okay." Yeah, he like he, when he's confronted with something that's like vaguely modern and, for lack of a better word, queer. Mm-hmm. He immediately accepts it. Yeah, when President Barbie is asked by one of the Kens if he could, if they could have one, just one mm. Supreme Court justice, after she's just delivered a speech about we can't go back to the way things were because it wasn't fair. We need to have an equal society. Mm-hmm. Weird Barbie, we now accept you as one of our yeah. own. As soon as the Ken is like, can one of the Kens please have a foothold in your government? She goes,
0: no. Yeah, she says, oh, maybe like a low level kind of thing. Yeah, she puts the Kens down there where they no, have no the power. Jo- the joke is the, oh, it's it's analogous to the real world. Because I think Helen Mirren says, yeah. oh, and in, in time, men will come to have the same position women have. in the, So it's a kind of snarky, um, no, it's not equal. Like, yeah, there'll no. be sad classes, but I I don't like that because well, I, no, I, I, obviously
1: no, but not, just beyond the fact that it's like oh well, you're a guy and the yeah, guy yeah. Is, and yeah, I know that people would say that like oh well, it's because women have no power in the real world. It's like mm-hmm. well, this is the this was the film's chance to rise above that. This was the film's yeah. chance to present a society worth aspiring towards. Well,
0: th- okay, and it didn't. Yeah, I'm trying to like Marshall because I've got a lot here. Um... The reason that people thought I wouldn't like this film mm. is because it, it, it criticised the patriarchy and stuff like that. Like, oh, you don't think it exists, so blah, blah, blah. That's not my problem with the film. It's that it it does it so poorly, and by kind of setting up alternatives to it, mm. that it's going Right. I don't know whether they wrap themselves up in knots trying to figure out how to do this yeah. right. Because what you end up with, and I mean this, there is only one conclusion you can get to to be ideologically consistent and support what this film says and that's women are just better right that is when you really like try and unwrap it all the only way you can be okay with everything that happens is women are just better and i'll try and get to that a little bit more um so it has a transparency of purpose Mm. so one of them says early on i can hold both emotion and logic and it doesn't diminish my powers it expands them you know yeah yeah all of the barbies are really unlike yeah yeah yeah. the whole tone and bitchy and like self-absorbed this this new way of speaking that's my problem with it Mm. it's that yeah that nouveau lingua of of that of like being self-aware and saying those things yeah also the fact that barbie is saying that like how (laughs) but ignoring that yeah yeah what is this world um And then there's stuff like the doctor said, in the time it took me to finish this, that sentence, you healed. Haha, <laughs> you know. I don't have anything big planned. Just a giant blow-up party with all the Barbies and planned choreography and a bespoke song. I don't even have context for this, but my feet are on the ground. Now, I was going to list the most salient examples of those kinds of lines. Okay. But after the last line that I just recited, pretty much every line is that. Oh, right. And I mean every line is that. Self-aware, knowing... It's just a slightly more upscale version of the type of American humour we hate. Well, that's why I thought you would hate it. Like, yeah, not, yeah. not
1: just from an ideological
0: perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I
1: think there's a lot of... This film has a lot of nasty habits in yeah. general, but it like plays them up to the extreme. As you said, it's the most have your cake and eat it. Yeah. It's the most self-aware film I've seen in a while. It's the most, like, flippant in some regards. Yeah. Flippant in terms of its own, like... If it can't find its way around something, it just, like, bats
0: it away. Well, that's what I mean, by have your cake and eat it. Like, yeah. if the rules don't quite make sense for the point they're trying to make, yeah. they they just won't, they'll ignore the rule.
1: Because you can, because it's funny.
0: C- exactly, like, yeah. none of it matters. Mm. That's why, didn't someone say to you you're overthinking it? Yeah. yeah,
1: to which I would say that, like, in a world where the Lego movie exists and films like the Lego yeah, movie yeah. exists, I don't think that's a valid criticism yeah. anymore. Because we complement... Those films, when they do things like that, we compliment the Lego Movie for its yeah. consistency and in, in, in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. But no one has ever said, "But you didn't need it, right?" It's exactly. so not as if exactly. it's like it's 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 put all this effort into getting this element right that's completely that doesn't elevate the film in any, mm-hmm. any way. It's because it got it right that the Lego Movie is so fondly remembered.
0: Yes, and but the people that are prone to like this and like, they will like it whatever because mm. it's criticizing the patriarchy and again that's not my problem with it. It really isn't. I've seen plenty of films about critiquing the patriarchy that I can have ideological disputes with, mm. but I go, but at least, like, you know, if, if what you believe is real is real, mm. then I'm with you, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas in this film, it just doesn't make any sense because they have a patriarchy. It just happens to be women. Yeah. There's loads of problems like that where they just go, oh, fuck it. It don't matter. Like, the idea is patriarchy infects Barbie land. Mm. And nothing else mattered. And that's why I mean it's propaganda because they didn't feel the need to come up with a coherent story, coherent rules, a coherent mythology. It's just, oh, we have a point and we're going to make the point. Hmm. But because nothing makes sense, they defeat their own point. Because again, like, oh, we're going to get our autonomy back. I thought you were played with. Like, what is this? (laughs) Um, The sadness of Ken when he says, every night is girls' night. Yeah, at the beginning, right? This is what I mean, I really don't think they knew what they were doing. Flip the genders. And that actually that I think that's the best thing I can say to anybody that loves this film. Mm. I don't want to convince you not to love it. That you know, it's not um and trust me, I would not waste my life overthinking Barbie. No. This these are things that occurred to me as mm. I watched it, okay? When people criticize Trump or criticize Obama, people would all say, Well, flip it. Mm. What if it was Obama doing that? Would you criticize you know, that kind of thing? flip the genders and they do that when he says every night is boys night if you're all about this film and what it's trying to say maybe you can't argue with him when he says every night is boys night because you go well yeah fuck you (laughs) you know every night was girls night now every night is boys night yeah you have to get to and to be fair she does say oh not every night has to be girls night right yeah that but wider that should have been the conclusion yeah extrapolate that um, and that's why why I say the only way to truly get behind this film is just to think that women are better and men are lesser. Mm. I really think that that's the only starting point where any of it can make sense.
1: I don't think there is. I, I, I don't think there is a, um, a a clean conclusion that can be. Drawn. It's
0: not clean, but what I mean is because of this whole thing of the women run everything and then they want to get that back and then yeah. when they do, the lesson isn't that we should share. It's like not really. Yeah, like we'll still be in, we'll still have all the power. The only, if you're behind it, the only conclusion is that women are better then. Mm. Right? Like, what else can I take away from that? Well, that's the thing. I think the
1: film is so clumsy yeah. in, its, in, in its ideology, in its presentation of mm. that, in the story that it's telling, in, in every way, really, yeah, um, yeah. that you kind of could draw any conclusion you want from it and be right on some level. A lot You have a lot of people say, yeah. obviously, like, Ben Shapiro saying, like, oh, this is the most... Woke piece of shit I've ever seen. Close, I'm close to him. I'll be honest. Yeah, you've got a lot of people saying yeah. that, like, um, oh no, the film is actually a sell. Celib- it's it, it's a total deconstruction of gender. That's fair on both sides. You've I've seen people say that this is actually anti woke because <laughs> it,
0: because it's it's like it's almost like a parody of like a woke like it's so ridiculous. Right, like I said that, but I think in jest. or oh, you didn't say it at all. Uh, well, that's not true. Okay, um, but that's my point. Is that like? Yeah, yeah.
1: All of those people, but, there's, enough, th- there's enough, there's enough, there's enough evidence in this film that each of those people could point to. But
0: don't you think that, but there's not. And no, be right. Don't you think the people that say it's not woke at all are bending over backwards to try and like depoliticize it or to, I don't know, overthink it. Yeah. They're overthinking it to kind of go, you know, obviously the liberal tendency is to inter- over-intellectualize something. It's like sometimes things are simple. Mm. You have to bend over backwards to think that Barbie's an anti woke movie. It is really not.
1: I think they just looked at the the absurdity of it and took that at face value
0: and just thought what, like, in what way though? Oh, you answer. I'm not going to argue with you because you didn't say it. But no, I don't. No, but
1: yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm at this point I'm imposing my assumption on their theory because I didn't right. see a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my assumption would be they saw how like the weird, out there jokes and just the the weird artifice of the, of everything. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing, like, it's not as if Barbie Land is this kind of kooky, crazy land, and then the real world is this kind of gritty, like, Mm -hmm. The Shield-esque, like, presentation of of reality. Yeah. Both realities are weird. Yeah. Both realities have this kind of heightened heightened craziness to them. Yeah, yeah. So my assumption is that, is that they just, like, they thought, oh, this is is taking the piss.
0: The thing is, the true enemy of the Barbies... Mm. It's is Barbie itself. Is no, it's it's the people that make the toy mm. and the girls playing with them. Right? Okay. They're the what they control everything they do. So mm. if autonomy is what they want, they have to break out of the whole we're being played with thing. Yeah. Okay? Now then you can argue like, oh you know, but the reason the doll exists is because of the patriarchy, even though a woman invented it, blah 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 blah. Let's not go into all that. It's it's too much. But <laughs> the purest form of this film is the barbies become self-conscious or a barbie becomes self-conscious mm. realizes that their whole reality is manipulated and have to go to the real world to sort that shit out mm. and then they come back and hey we don't have to be gorgeous and do you know turns out we can be whatever we want that's the true and i'm a man but fuck you <laughs> feminist vision of this film okay men and women are equal you know in fact they could have been it could have been the most one of the most woke and simultaneously actually liberal films that we could all get behind. If the point was, women don't have to be these perfect Barbies. Mm. They can be whatever they want. And the Kens don't have to be second class citizens. It turns out men and women are equal. Mm. They could have done both things yeah. and like it would have been really good and effective. But they had to do the patriarchy thing. Mm. And that defeats everything else. Yeah. There is a version of this film that's good, and you can make it about feminism. And oh yeah, doing the, what they would. no, that's the thing. The, like that, the patriarchy stuff definitely gets in the way of of the whole film. Yeah, it does. Because so, again, weird Barbie. Well, I suppose she's not a lesbian because she say, she says I'd like to see what kind of nude blob he's packing under those jeans. Yeah, so I, flip it. Yeah, yeah. Flip it. So are we are we supposed to find that funny and laugh? Yeah. Right. Then women are better. Okay. Because if someone said that to her in the real world, ah, patriarchy. Mm. So what? Do you know what I mean? Mm. What are we trying to say here? Yeah. What are we doing here? Um, Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Did you at least like Ryan Gosling? No. Why did you not like Ryan Gosling? I thought he was fine. He was not as good as I thought he would be. Okay. I thought he was rather good. Okay, I didn't dislike him. That. That's, no. I'm calling yeah. the momentum on my hatred here. I I thought he was fine. He's not the, again, shoo-in for an Oscar nomination. Yeah, that That did that surprise I me. Yeah.
1: I think Margot Robbie is, is, is very well
0: cast as Batman. Of course, yeah. She's good. They're both good. Yeah. They're both. I've got that point down. They are both good. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: But th- that's the thing, yeah. This is this is, this is is a Barbie film at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Where Barbie kind of... The film kind of forgets about Barbie after a while, I think. Right. Because there's that moment, isn't there, where, like, they're kind of resolving everything at the end of the film. mm mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, look, the Kens are going to get an ounce of power. Yeah. The Barbies are going to get everything that they want. Nobel Prize Barbie's going to go here, blah, 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 blah. And then someone's like... And then, like, Mattel are going to leave or something. Mm-hmm. And then someone's like, uh, the daughter Mm -hmm. is actually like, what about Barbie? What's her prize at the end of the list? It's like, oh yeah, the main character. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Like the
1: film forgot about her. Because it it feels like the Ken stuff completely takes over. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, that's what you want to make the film about. Because you want the film to be important. Mm -hmm. And you make it important by being about important things. Or what the culture Mm -hmm. says is important. But there's like, yeah, there's other there's other ways they could have taken this, which don't necessarily like Barbie's whole thing about like, oh, I've got flat feet and I'm growing cellulite and I'm getting thoughts of existentialism. That could just have been an an analogous of like growing up. It's like Yeah. It's like they live in Barbie land and they're all children, basically, mm. where they can do whatever they want and every day is the greatest day ever, and blah 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 blah. Barb, stereotypical Barbie is the first one to show signs of like aging.
0: Or what about what if it's more like um when a kid is getting to the end of it of the Barbies, life, you know, yeah, uh, you know, not playing it with it anymore, that's where thoughts of death start to creep yeah, in. exactly, yeah, uh, you, yeah. And you, you she's kind of... and she's just the first Barbie that's broken out of the system.
1: Yeah, you pair the two yeah. up. It's like the kids growing up, and so the Barbie she's playing with is kind yes. of it's imprinting on that. Doll. It's like inside out
0: kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And you still do the whole thing where she goes to like the real world and she tries to sort it out and everything, yeah. and Ken goes as well. But like Ken's whole thing could be that like, like, like it's it's sort of like right. Like Barbie Land is now gro- gro- going to have to grow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Kens are going to have to grow up, but the Kens don't want to grow up. They want to stay young and like mm. you. And so maybe that's where Ken's whole like all his tantrums and misbehaviors come from. Yeah, it's yeah. like no, Barbie, you can't make me. Like it, it, rather than this whole like societal rift between the Barbies yeah, and yeah. the Kens, it's this kind of like playground mentality of oh girls are icky and boys are stupid and so boys and girls stay separate but as they grow up and the society kind of like uh, but evolves film...
0: it's like oh these we yeah. have
1: to come together but yeah. the
0: actual film is doing the opposite it's saying that atomized identities are the best way to... so like yeah, they could do a thing where Ken, maybe his thing is because he's, you know, a lifeguard, whatever the yeah. fuck you... He can no, d- he's beach. He's beach, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. He can do anything. No, no, that's one of the best jokes in the yeah. film. I'll, I'll have you acknowledge it. Well, the whole beach bit. Yeah. You think that's one of the best bits of the film? Well, it's... I'll beat you off, that whole thing.
1: No, 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 the, when he's talking to the lifeguard in real life. He's okay, to get fine, a job.
0: yeah, fine, all right. Yeah. Um, I was going to throw my bottle <laughs> um Again, kids, like, that's not for kids. No. Um, yeah, they go to the real, and because, like, he can just, he's amazing in Barbie land... Mm. Um, it's not about that uh, he sees the men rule everything in the real world. it's he can't do anything he wants to do yeah because he's not qualified to do anything you yeah. can't do you know yeah and even if you wanted to stick with the whole oh barbie and ken like he's not entitled to her she doesn't want him whatever you can still have that lesson learned like that i didn't have a problem with that so much like mm. she doesn't like ken that's never explained either by the way because barbie does like ken but that's never <laughs> that's... no she like barbie and ken in yeah, yeah. think you yeah. know uh, he loves her, but she's like, eh, about him. Yeah. Because, the, because they that's the way they wanted it. It so doesn't we, actually make sense within the rules of the universe. Yeah. That's what the filmmakers wanted. Mm. So she doesn't like Ken, and then she's like, look, I just don't... And the whole, maybe it's supposed to be Barbie and Ken. Right. Okay, he goes off to find his own identity. If that's what you want to do, that's also not that bad. Hmm. And I just want to be clear. My loathing for this film is not what it's saying, because it's saying something really poorly mm. in a completely incoherent incomprehensible way and it it doesn't care about the things it should care about it just cares about the message mm. but the message it's as a result the message becomes confused and again the people people that would think my problem with it oh it's anti patriarchal my problem is that it doesn't make any fucking sense number one yeah it's not feminist enough actually mm. we'll get to that okay So she says, you know, when her feet, so she has like feet shaped like the heels, Mm. right? When she becomes flat-footed, oh God, I would never wear heels if my feet were shaped this way. Ha ha, women wear heels. Mm. What about women that want to wear heels? Yeah, okay. In in fact, a lot of the, I know um, people would say, oh, but that's a patriarchal imposition on women. Mm. But in fact, a lot of the group Barbie screenings involve dressing up in pink and wearing high heels. So what is that, irony?
1: Yeah, well, you've actually stumbled into another point that I wanted to make, and that is that I think this film is clearly trying to do a lot of things. Mm. I think one thing that it's definitely doing, which I don't see many people bring up, actually, Mm -hmm. is it's doing a bit of house cleaning in regards to the Barbie brand. Mm. Obviously, it's it's presenting Barbie Land as this utopia where there's a version of Barbie for everyone. There's
0: a disabled Barbie and a fat Barbie and a...
1: Very quickly, that's a
0: point that it's not my point; it's Shapiro's point. But there is a trans Barbie in the film. Yeah, and um, you yeah. were talking about was that a Ken? No, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, you were talking about something earlier and um, about like a breakdown of gender or something like that. Uh, yeah, that's it. it said, oh, uh, the, the film completely—it has no sense of gender. It breaks it all down. It doesn't because at the very end, she walks into the thing and says, "I'm here to see my gynecologist." Yes, and it's like, no, it's saying that women have vaginas. It's not very progressive, is it? <laughs> in the trans debate. Do you know what I mean? It's just like get your fucking like you just like you have no idea what you think. Yes, no. your, your worldview is so confused, it's ridiculous. Well it doesn't matter what you think, it, it matters what you say
1: and what you present. Yeah, yeah. You want to show utopian society where everyone is represented. You show everyone. It doesn't matter that they contradict each other and that they contradict your message. Yeah, yeah. I want to throw another spanner in the works as well in regards to the how the fuck does the universe work. Right. Um, remember when Ken, like, takes over the Barbie house and he turns it into Ken's massive dojo, gojo, yeah, whatever. whatever. Yeah, yeah. That becomes a product in the real world. Does it? Yeah. Because Will Ferrell is, like, traveling to Barbieland. Yeah. And he's like, we've got to stop the Kens from taking over. And then he rings, like, a guy in a warehouse and he's like, hey, these Ken Mojo dojo toys are flying out of the Oh, the yeah.
0: Asim Chowdhury. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: then Will Ferrell was like, oh, well, let's not be hasty. Let's let the Kens do their thing, you know? So, yeah, it makes so, it, so it, it, uh, not only <laughs> is, like, does the people in the real world control the Barbies in Barbie Land, yeah. but residents of Barbie Land have an influence over the real world, because yeah. they can create products that exist in the real yeah. world. Does Mattel even have a manufacturing division? Yeah. Or is it just a bunch of guys playing with dolls that imagine play sets
0: that become real? That's the thing. It doesn't make sense. And a lot of that is like, oh, fuck it, cause if you're into it. But it becomes a problem when it's like, you start thinking about, right, so Barbie, stereotypical Barbie, is is being played by, with one girl. Mm. Right. How does that work? Mm. What about all the other Barbie? And that's where it breaks down because it just... You can't really go anywhere after that.
1: Also, isn't the implication that Weird Barbie was once a stereotypical Barbie? But then got cut up. But the same girl, I think. I don't know if it was the same girl. I think it was just like a random... But, um, yeah, they say like, oh, she was the most beautiful Barbie ever. And then she was like fucked up by a child. Yeah, yeah. So that was a stereotypical Barbie?
0: Exactly. So, um... But yeah, my point was going to be that, yeah.
1: So, um... Yeah, so you have a version of Barbie for everyone. Yeah. Including stereotypical Barbie. But what this film does, quite cunningly, is it retires stereotypical Barbie. Yeah. It writes her out of the canon. Yes. There is no stereotypical Barbie anymore. Mm-hmm. When you think of Barbie, you can no longer think of Margot Robbie because that Barbie doesn't exist anymore. She goes to the real world. She goes to the real world. There is no stereotypical Barbie. Yeah. The Barbie that was responsible for all of the like feminism falling backwards
0: 50 years or all that bullshit... That Barbie isn't real anymore. And she's now entered the real world where Margaret because she looks like Margot Robbie, ticks all the boxes of the feminine female beauty standards. You know.
1: But that's the thing. All of the young girls that own the stereotypical Barbie, all the young girls that actually like stereotypical Barbie.
0: No well, girls actually like it. No, 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 no. They, no, no. It's we've told them to like it. Oh right, my mistake. Sorry. You make boys play with cars and you make girls play with Barbie. Okay, so all of the women that actually like stereotypical Barbie, they, 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 they they're deluded. Right. Okay. This is what I mean about the film not being actually feminist. Because mm. we'll, we'll come to that in a bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the thing. It's like
1: ah, we've solved Barbie. When you think of Barbie. Now you can just think of the Barbie the best represents Think of the one you. in the wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, think of the one in the wheelchair or yeah. the one that used to be a man. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's like, but what if I liked that Barbie? Yeah, yeah. Like, no! no! No one likes no, that no, Barbie. No, no. You'd
0: be ugly and weird. That is, that, the that is now
1: problematic Barbie. Yeah,
0: that Barbie's over there now. So, yeah. So, all the... I mean, we had a friend that went to see it that wore massive high heels. Yeah. And again, like, I don't think for the purposes of irony. Um, no, because that's Barbie. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah, Yeah, That That's the problem is that, like, Barbie... By writing stereotypical Barbie out of existence, Barbie now has no identity.
0: Yeah. What is Barbie now? Well, that's the point, I guess, right? Yeah. We're all of us, Barbie.
1: We're, <laughs> we're all Barbie. We're all
0: Barbie, yeah. So again, is that irony or is it dressing up? Um, Weird Barbie yeah. is the closest thing to the authorial voice. Mm. When Barbie chooses the blue pill, because mm. she gives the choice, right, of high heels or... Yeah. You know, lesbian sandals. Yeah. Um. And she chooses to stay. Yeah. The high heels. She takes away the choice and makes her take the red pill. That's not feminist. Yes, that's true. Um, Barbie didn't consent. Well, no, she she chose. She made a choice. Yeah. And now you're imposing a choice on her, it's like, oh, you're not. You meant to pick this one.
1: Yeah.
0: You're doing exactly what you would accuse the patriarchy.
1: Yeah. of Yeah. Um, hey, do you want to sleep with me? No. Guess
0: again. Yeah. Exactly no. Guess exactly. again. You, were no. meant, you were kind of meant to say yes. Yeah. There's a sniffiness. Here, about what a lot of women choose to do and what's more controlling than that, you know, like the film would argue that those aren't actual choices, uh, but rules thrust upon women by the patriarchy, which is profoundly condescending mm. more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. And look, I'm not one of the, and again, when people make these arguments, they go, Ah, oh, but you've got a stake in the game, like you would say that that's condescending. Cause, I don't give a fuck what you wanna look like. I do yeah. not give a fucking fuck what you wanna look like. Do you really think I don't. Like, oh care. yeah, the patriarchy's really working out for us? The I'm <laughs> not saying this. Like we're really yeah, benefiting exactly. from it. Exactly. Well that's the that's the thing. The film is not about it's not critiquing us. It's not anti-male. No. Like it's not Okay. It's not anti-patriarchy. It's not anti-all men. It acts that way, but mm. in in effect it's not. Because I don't recognise any of And I know, again, it has the heightened way of speaking, but when Ken says like he asked the guy about the patriarchy. He's like, Oh, that doesn't exist here anymore. Well, it does, we, we're just quiet about it. Mm. What well, men talk like that? Yeah, I, I, I fill you in on something, gals. <laughs> men, and again, maybe like my bias is my friendship group, which isn't the most testosterone all guys in the world. Mm. But when we're all hanging out, we don't talk about like our advantages and our benefits <laughs> and like
1: how we're going to preserve the status quo. That's the thing, the film doesn't even patriarchy right because no. Right, like in that moment Ken basically said like the secret code word yeah and the guy still didn't give him a job right if the patriarchy if if it was like proper patriarchying mm. Ken would have a job yeah just by being Ken yeah it's yeah. it's the whole like hail hydra thing yes in like Mar- it's, it's not as if you you'd go hail hydra and the guy's like that's all well and good but fuck off
0: but what, where's your CV yeah exactly yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like
1: no oh yeah. yeah you're aware of the secret patriarchy thing? Yeah, please, come work for us, right.
0: Ken. And by the way, in real life, Mattel, the board, I think it's five women and six men. Oh, is it? So there's that. Yeah. Um. So the Barbies have no say over what they are, but they do. Mm. Uh, the Kens have no say over what they are, but they do. Mm. Uh, it's a matriarchy, but even so, that's considered anti-feminist in the real world because of the expectations that it's created for women. Mm. The Barbies earn nothing. Being President Barbie is because you're President Barbie. They have no agency. Yeah, she was born into that. Well, that's what I mean. The moment where, like, one of them's written a book and won the Nobel Prize for literature, she forgets, right? And she says the whole Zack Snyder Justice League thing. So, hmm. oh, I, I found myself really caring about Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League. Like, how do you even know about that? And yeah. secondly, you didn't write a book. You've been created to have written a book. Yes. You didn't, you've didn't. you never written a book. No, that's, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. yeah. She was born to have written a book. Pre-credentialed. Yeah, Exactly. Um, they earn nothing and it's the same with the cans, right? But the Kansas are second-class citizens in a world that's completely controlled until it isn't. But the Barbies <laughs> do have autonomy that they have to reinstate. This is what I mean, like, whatever you're trying to say is just lost in that muddle. Yeah. Um, but I think the people, it's more a vibe of what it's trying to say and people respond to the vibe. Yeah. It kind of ends up at a place of equality but with that snarkiness, like I said, it's not to be taken seriously. mm Um, but people are but people are well because the film does Um, the film takes itself seriously again with its message yeah little girls not everyone of course that watch this will grow up and they will want to wear high heels and they will want to wear makeup and they will be wrong (laughs) according to this film that's going to keep happening yeah now like I said the film doesn't in effect is not railing against men or the patriarchy because it is it is constructing straw men that mm. is the patriarchy. Mm. What it's actually railing against is bros. Mm. That's what it's actually criticizing. And then there's that line where she says, either you're brainwashed or you're weird and ugly. There's no in between, right? Right. It's like, oh, you're either like part of the patriarchy and you're, yeah. or you're weird and ugly. It's like, there's no in between. Let me be earnest for a moment, right? Just for a second. Okay. I've known plenty of beautiful women that were exactly in between, that weren't brainwashed by the supposed patriarchy and that weren't you know, weird and ugly and misunderstood. and Most of womanhood exists somewhere between those places. This is an Ivy League, coastal, artsy impression of where women stand in society. Mm. And young women are going to love it. I don't know about young girls, but young women certainly. But this is an ideologues impression of womankind. And it happens to be a woman. Well, a woman and a man wrote it, but a woman directed it. Mm. It's her view of it. So yeah, again, I'm a fucking man saying this, but the film, this film does not speak for all women. It speaks for Greta Gerwig. And like I said, in many ways, my problem is that it isn't feminist enough. America Ferrera's tirade, you know, where she's like, oh, we've got to do this, but we can't do this. We've got to be this way. That's the author moment, right? That's Mm. the big speech. She even says... I'm tired of watching myself and literally every other woman I know tie themselves in knots, like trying to be. I know a lot of women will agree with that. I know some will pretend to agree with it. I know some will want to agree with it. But it comes down to the whole film comes down to this for me. Grata Gerwig, speak for yourself. Okay. That's what comes. Don't Don't presume to speak on behalf of all womankind. Mm. That's what will piss me off the most. Like, it's not feminist. Mm. Not at all. It doesn't account for the choices that women make to get married, to have kids, to do X, Y, Z. Fuck you. That's my takeaway. (laughs) And I'm done. Yeah,
1: okay. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't want to... Yeah, I want to end on that. Okay. I I think that's a good place to end. Okay. I think that's a fair point to make as well, a fair place to end, because yeah, I, I feel like i haven't well, I, heard just, that, I haven't heard that take much, no so I want always, that to be the takeaway for most people
0: yeah and I didn't want I didn't read any reviews or watch anything before because I was like I just I really want my own opinion mm. but that was the big thing is like I expected to roll my eyes at the patriarchy stuff and that, but I kind of I knew that going in it is more that it's more you're not speaking for all women mm. you're speaking for a certain you know for certain women yeah. And that's fine, but the ones that make other choices, it's, that's their right as women, and, you know, that's you, the you're feminist... You're speaking
1: for the loudest women. The, the women that are like... Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the, 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 shrill, speaking... the shrillest women. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, um... And again, like, yes, of, f- of course it's fucking hard being a woman, but I I just felt... When America Ferrera has that speech and says, oh, you know, we we can't be... We have to be feminine, but also this. We have to, I was like, do you think men like have exactly the same... We deal not with the exact same... Um, problems. No, but we are all we're torn between binaries all the time as well. It's yeah. the same for every person in the world. Oh, I've got to be strong, but I've got to be, you know, um, vulnerable. Vulnerable. Yeah. I've got to be. This. I've got to be. This. God, it's a fucking mess for everybody. Yeah. So speak for yourself, Krata Gerwig. Speak Done. for your <laughs> fucking self. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. See you next time. See you next time. Bye.